Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 91 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor, show by show, from the beginning. This voice is Trevor Dame. The other voice you will hear is Matt Feuerstein, as always. Matt, Kenny Omega stole my goddamn catchphrase. This, this, this has to stop. This is getting ridiculous. And it's not exactly the same. He didn't say, have a good time, have a great time. He said, don't have a good time, have a great time. You want people to have both. He wants people to just have one. I think that you win this round because <laughs> you are the more generous soul. Yeah, clearly I, when it comes to me and Kay Omega, I win so many comparisons. So clearly, but uh, honestly, I mean, I like the catchphrase, but he could have it because it's also embarrassing because it all comes from me screwing up and being a loss for words and then you insisting I continue to do it. And now I fear like if you have a not listened to that episode, you go, that's the, the weirdest, most awkward catchphrase in the world. But uh, no, no, uh, no one thinks that it. They think it's the best catchphrase <laughs> in the world and the most generous. You want people to have both a good and a great time. Do you, people understand how generous that is? Both good and great. Good and <laughs> well, great. <laughs> I like your enthusiasm. Um, if you want, if for anyone that wants to go find the origin of the catchphrase, uh, it, I don't know, remember which episode. It was a Joe Gagne episode, so that you only have like eight hundred you have to hunt for then. Uh, yeah, this sounds like a but, good use of someone's time. Yeah, well, hey, you know, a good use of your time is listening to. If you listen to this episode, you likely like the show, so you should check out the older episodes. As always, you have three options. You found one of them. You can find us on Through the Years on any podcast app of choice, T H R O H. You can find us on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, which is us with a bunch of other great podcasts if you want more than just a feed that gets updated once every two to three weeks. And, of course, we're on YouTube. I think this was the first month we did not have a new subscriber to YouTube, but I did see some people still wasting a ridiculous number of minutes of their lives watching our show on YouTube. So that um, virus continues to spread, at least in terms of man hours lost to this show. But Matt, um, a little bit of news between the last Ring of Honor show and this one. Just a couple quick stories here. First one, The Observer. Uh, Dave Meltzer wrote, Ring of Honor is working on getting more dates for Kenta and Naomichi Marafuji. The thought process, which I agree, if, agree with, says Dave, is that Kenta Kobashi should only come in once this year for a late-year rematch with Samoa Joe, but Kenta can be used more often, and there is a whole roster, including Loki and Brian Danielson, that he can work with. So I just put this in there because this is – I think we mentioned it once during, like, the Joe Kobashi shows, but this is another reminder that it's, like, recently as, like, early 2006, Ring of Honor's plans, of course, health things derailed it was still probably to do it around the same time in 2006 as they did you know in 2005 probably around i would imagine october or whatever in time to get those dvds out for the holidays to do joe kobashi too i um, mean on the one, we never get it on the one hand it would have been great on the other hand it's kind of great that they only did the one and nothing ever was able to tarnish it or there was no debate over which was the better match and it was just like this one perfect moment in time you know i'm not saying i wish that i don't wish that we got a second one but it's it's kind of nice in its own way that it stands alone yeah i i know you you mentioned that before and i've i i actually think i do agree with you i like the idea of like 
the romanticism of it, it was just a one chance night where everything went right. It, it's the before sunrise of professional wrestling matches. And I, as I say that, I realized they made three of those. So and many would argue that the, uh, that the other two were better than the original. Um, so, so actually I made out the worst possible <laughs> comparison. Yes. Uh, there were there secretly three Joe versus Kobashi matches. <laughs> Every like seven or eight years, there was secretly another one, but, um, and then another story that kind of I, I put in because it interested me because it, it really echoes another story we've covered recently on the show. This is from the Wrestling Observer's TNA section from an issue around this point in January 2006. Dave wrote, Jay Lethal got his TNA contract offer because he impressed Jeff Jarrett in their match at the September 17th, I mean January 17th ta- tapings. He didn't get the offer until after the tapings, and contrary to the report in last week's issue, he has not signed the contract as of press time. He has, hadn't even read the contract as of the weekend, but gave indications he probably would end up signing. He may be stalling to see if WWE will make a bona fide offer. Jeremy Borash had been pushing for him for months after seeing him in Ring of Honor, but others thought he wasn't quite ready yet when his name first came up, but pretty much the consensus now is that they're impressed with him. So, if they, And if they weren't impressed with him already, wait till they see him tonight with his cool sunglasses. <laughs> which, but, he wore, which he wore to great effect in TNA. Maybe not, uh, th- maybe not those sunglasses, but sunglasses. <laughs> so obviously... um. You know, this is, you know, Jay Lethal is not long for the Ring of Our World, at least as a full-timer during this run. But I thought this was interesting in the sense that it kind of echoes the Samoa Joe story recently where, um, you know, Joe was trying to negotiate, like, a better deal with TNA. He has someone go backstage, you know, Brian Gerwitz backstage at a, at a Ring of Honor show. He starts putting out the word, like, oh, I could get a WWE offer. And I have no idea if that's Jay, what Jay Lethal's doing here, but certainly seems familiar of TNA is now interested. All of a sudden, word comes out that, hey, maybe the wrestler could get an offer from WWE. Like, you know, that's just the benefit of having two major competing wrestling promotions, which is, hey, you could actually try and create bidding wars. And I think the other interesting thing I'll just mention is, you know, people these days always talk about, well, not these days. We've kind of gone past that era, sadly, but like the days of, William Regal being spotted peeking through the curtain at PWG shows or like that famous picture of Gabe Sapolsky and Triple H and an Evolve show. The idea of, oh, the WWE scouts, you know, backstage at the indie show. You know, this was probably like Ring of Honor had gotten probably within the last six months, like to the point where we were starting to see that like this was probably the original indie and the original time frame when that happened where you would see like. Joe gets Brian Gerwitz to go to a show. Jeremy Borsch, I think they said, was at a show, you know, obviously seeing Jay Lethal there and stuff like that, where it was, had gotten to the point where it was the indie where people from the big promotions would come to scout. It's crazy that it took even that long, considering how, like, many amazing wrestlers were in ROH having great matches from the beginning. I mean, you had you had guys that were not, like, official representatives of the company, but people like, um, you know, Mick Foley would go to, you know, obviously be part of yeah. ROH shows and go back to WWE and be like, you gotta sign this guy. And I think that probably the people who had the ability to do that really weren't listening to him, <laughs> no. you know. But, um, uh, yeah, you're right. It's It's the beginning of when people were actually sent to ROH with that express purpose in mind of finding people to sign. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm sure there have been people that have gone to smaller promotions before this, but it just seemed like 
there was a certain kind of vibe in the last 20 years of a lot of times, oh, certain designated guys would show up at the biggest indies and just it was almost like part of their job description just to keep an eye on who's to who to pluck next. And this felt like this reading these stories recently, I was like, oh, this feels like the first time I've kind of been reading about these in our timeline where that, this is finally this trend is starting to crop up. But now, now let me ask you something. Um, oh, go on. It's just, you know, I'm just kind of an idiot, so I don't know really how this all works, but. As if you were in charge of, you know, scouting or hiring at one of these promotions, if you watched some of these ROH DVDs and saw, you know, or, you know, the PWG shows, you know, when, when that was the big thing, and you saw some of the great talent there, Samoa Joe, whoever, would you feel like you needed to like, okay, I got to go and see before I make sure I can sign this person? Or would it just be really obvious that this person was worth signing just from watching it on DVD? Not saying that it's wrong to send somebody, but like this idea of sending a scout in person, do you think that was really essential to know that somebody was worth signing? I don't think so. I wonder if maybe part of it also was just networking and making connections. And, and I'm sure there are certain things you can see watching live that you can't see on tape. But actually, you've stumbled onto something pretty interesting because actually what you're talking about is kind of what like a lot of major sports, at least like the ones I follow, are kind of doing in reverse where – like growing up watching hockey, the old days was you had to scout the games in person. You had to be the crusty old scout sitting in the stands, drinking the bad coffee, you know, like taking your notes in your notepad. And now more and more, you know, there are still scouts that do that, but more and more there are scouts now that just work with video. And there was, a, there has been big fights and we're like, you miss things just watching video. But then there have been scouts that are like, no, I can do my job just in a while. In fact, I can do it better because I can watch more footage you know when i'm not just traveling from city to city trying to catch isolated events you know yeah i guess i guess when i think about it it might make sense in the sense of like if someone's really great it's obvious on video but maybe you can find more people that have something special in person that you might not see on video like it's not like you need in person to know samoa joe is great but you might need in person to know that you know some less uh, noteworthy star is maybe worth signing because they have some intangible, you know, something like that. Mm. I wonder how much you would even really need to watch this. I know, I don't know if the big companies were this way, but I've heard in the past when like wrestlers would make like, I'm sure that, I mean, this, this is dating me. This is showing how we're in well into our thirties because I'm sure this is not the way this works with the internet. But I remember like growing up, you'd hear wrestlers talk about how they would make like, basically like demo reels for to try and get jobs with new indies or new promotions where they would put, you know, like a match or something on a, a, a tape and, you know, send it out and hope that that one match. And the, the word I would hear from like just hearing like promoters and people talk about is like the mistakes some wrestlers would make is they would like send like a massive conference and they were like send a tape to have one match and not a crazy long match and one promo. Like that's it. Like and and basically, if we if we want you, we should be able to tell from one match, one promo on a VHS tape. That seems too little to me, but <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm an idiot. I don't know how this works. But doesn't it seem like that's a little bit like I don't know? That's a little bit light for a uh, a resume. One match um, and one promo. Well, I could see you very much being – it would be the very easy probably to like cherry pick a match that would hide all of your flaws. Like, oh, I'm going to pick like the absolute best like wild example where everything went right for me. I was working with someone absolutely incredible that hit all my flaws. So yeah, 
But I, I, I assume part of that's not just like the promoters may say, oh, this is all we need to judge. But I could imagine also part of it's like we just don't want to, I don't want to have to watch like 10 three hour demo tapes, you know. Yeah, that, well, that, just... that one makes sense. Like I remember when I was much younger and people were talking about doing resumes and they would say like, yeah, make your resume one page long, you know, like not yeah. a book. You know, leave out some of the less important stuff or the older stuff because people don't want to read uh, uh, pages and pages of a resume. So I guess it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, there's probably a middle ground, but who knows? I, I, again, that's stuff I have no personal experience with. Mostly, even when I'm talking about it, it's just from like little bits of interviews back probably like 15, 20 years ago of wrestlers talking about that kind of stuff, which always interested me. But uh, that brings us to the show we are covering tonight. That is Tag Wars 2006, which took place January 27, 2006 at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds Coliseum in Dayton, Ohio, in front of a reported crowd of 550 fans. So this was the first show to be billed as Tag Wars, but it was a name Ring of Honor would use in the future, but not every year. And um, kind of just sporadically. And uh, one interesting thing about this show, a pro- one of the more notable things about this show, actually, is what, who's not on this show. Because this is one of the rare shows from this era of Ring of Honor that Samoa Joe is not on. Now he's not even wrestle. He doesn't even appear on the show. And there was a very good uh, specific reason for that. We will go to the Observer Melter wrote, Samoa Joe suffered a staph infection under his right arm and was forced to cancel his two matches against Christopher Daniels that were to headline January 27th in Dayton, which would have been a 30-minute Ironman match, and January 28th in Cleveland, an anything-goes match. Joe wrote that he noticed a small cut near his armpit after wrestling a show on um, January 21st in Belleville, Michigan. He cleaned it, but over the next few days, it had swollen to about the size of a large marble, and he went to the doctor. It was diagnosed as a pretty severe staph infection, and he's on antibiotics. Gabe Sapolsky immediately contacted Loki as replacement to work both events, and the torch would add. Ring of Honor head booker Gabe Sapolsky and Joe felt it would be too much of a health risk to the rest of the roster if Joe wrestled as scheduled. So a few things to mention here. First, about how ironic is it that this double shot work, this is the first half of a double shot we're going to be covering over the next two episodes. These are the last two shows Loki ever works in Ring of Honor. And he was not originally booked on, ironically, like the last two shows Loki ever works for Ring of Honor are shows where he kind of saves the day as like a late replacement booking. Like the guy whose history is like walking out. Yeah. I it, wonder, I wonder like if the thing that, I mean, I don't think it happened, but I don't think the thing that, ended up causing lo- the rift, the final rift between the ROH and Loki happened on these shows, but it would be kind of ironic if they did. Like, it's like if Loki had never worked these shows, he would have kept working in ROH longer. I don't, I don't think that's the case. By the way, I remember Joe's live journal posts when he had this staff infection. I just remember him like imploring wrestling promoters to clean their mats. I think staff was kind of I forget I didn't I should have read more of this but like um I think it was kind of a prev like a kind of in the wrestling news world at this time like maybe he was not the only person getting staff in wrestling because I think um there was an article in in the Torch around this time where I think they even like talked to like Carrie Silken and stuff like about different re- wrestlers in all sorts of different promotions getting staff and they talked about you know Ring of Honor we keep our mats really clean but like. I don't know when MRSA really started to pop up, but I remember there was definitely a time period in wrestling where it felt like staff was kind of in the news. Like, like well, well, Bob, well, when did, when did Bob Holly have his really, really like life threatening one? 
Uh, again, my, my memory is, as always, Matt, Swiss cheese. In fact, you should know this week someone asked us a question about Ring of Honor, and I had to immediately run to you, and you had the answer within, like, 20 minutes. So, um, uh, I, like, I, I guess that's another, like, um, detriment to working indies, right, where probably a lot of these indies don't maybe practice good ring hygiene, so to speak, you know? And by the way, so the, or, the the MRSA for Bob Holly was, I believe, in 2005, because I, I found an interview with Bob Holly in WWE.com from like middle 2006, like April 2006, uh, talking about how it was getting bad and his elbow surgery and all this stuff. Um, so 2005 or 2006, so right around this time. Yeah, and staff can be like really serious, obviously. You yeah, know, of course. It's, it's, um, Matt, here's the, here's one thing I thought was weird reading this. Uh, and yeah, that was the original plan for this weekend was this was supposed to be the weekend where the Joe Daniels feud came to an end with a 30 minute Ironman match on this show. And then the next night and anything goes match, uh, re- relating the, and obviously they end up doing a different Joe Daniels match to blow off the feud later in the year. They do a make good. But uh, one thing I thought was weird about looking at the plan here was like, this idea that we're gonna we're gonna finally blow off this dude. We're gonna on this weekend. We're gonna find out once and for all like who's the best wrestler in a series of two matches. Like, what if one guy won each match? Like, then nothing would be so. Like, if Joe won on Saturday and Daniels won on Sunday or whatever. Like, I, I think that'd be a really that that would not settle anything. That, it just seems like if you want to settle a feud, you would book one final climactic match. I agree with you, and um, you know I don't know what the uh, what the plan would have been. You know, I, I it seems hard to picture both of them lo- like one of them losing two matches in a row, but yeah. and you'd think that probably Joe would be the one who would win, but uh, but I don't know. And yeah, when they finally do have their final match in ROH, it isn't it isn't really positioned like as like something like a no an anything goes match. You know, it's much less intense than that. They they, they have another wrestling match. Yeah. And then they are in a four way together like a night the night or night or two later. So it does, nothing ever really feels super settled between the two of them in ROH. Um of course they do wrestle a lot more in, in TNA as well. And it feels weird to like yet yeah, to um book two big gimmick matches and then on the make good just to kinda like you're saying, go back to Eh, it's just kind of a match. Like you tease these things, and then you just go, "Well, we're going to keep the match part, but not like the blow-off gimmick part." But either way, uh, two other people on the show that are usually on most Ring of Honor shows that would be Homicide and Colt Cabana. Uh, Colt Cabana, I looked up on Ranch. He was doing a short little tour of Zero One um, at this time, and so that's I assume why he missed these shows. And Homicide, I assume it's because of his injury. Looking at Cage Match. They had him working the uh, Hell Freezes Over show, the last show we covered for Ring of Honor, but that was he barely worked at all. That was that FIP three-way that he only worked probably like a minute on. And then he worked the next night doing a uh, pre-show tag match for the TNA pay-per-view, and then he doesn't work for t- anywhere, according to KJ for two weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if his shoulder was so screwed up at this point, they just said, you know what, like, he's got, you got to miss at least a couple dates. But... Other than that, my last note before we get to the show itself is Justin Parker, who gave a live report to the PW Tor- PW Torch, wrote, Al Snow and CM Punk were both in the arena. So not a surprise given that this was in Ohio. Al Snow and CM Punk were both working for uh, 
Ohio Valley Wrestling, which was WWE's developmental territory at this point. Kind of funny that, you know, Punk's yet again backstage on Ring of Honor show, and in two shows, he will be working the main event of a Ring of Honor show again. So it's like practically like Punk never left. But um, that brings us to the show. This is the we- first show in Dayton in months. I remember thinking that went after we reviewed um, Redemption, but it's like they really took a long time to come back to Dayton. And, um, you know, I thought this was, I mean, we'll get to it. I thought this was a pretty good crowd. And it's, you know, like in terms of like reactions, it's pretty surprising how Dayton was such a good venue for, um, for ROH in 2005. And then they pretty much neglected it for the final uh, third of the year. Yeah, and it also their relationship with Dayton was always weird because like remember in the first few shows they had like Gabe did that threat where like if the if the tennis doesn't pick up soon like we're we're never going to run Dayton again and then it picked up and maybe that was just good word of mouth from like obviously Dayton was the host of the first Joe versus a uh, Punk match but or the first draw at least but um it seemed like they ran some bigger shows for Dayton in, in 2005. And then it seems like starting around now, like this show, I wouldn't say is the worst card ever, but like, it's not a significant card. Y- yeah. yeah and, like, and it definitely seems like Dayton, even though it's probably, it feels like in some ways, one of their better secondary markets becomes like the setup night for double shots. You know, it's, it's the B show before you get to the A show the next night, which, and by the end of the year, they're getting pretty, kind of dead crowds because they're not giving Dayton what they used to. Yeah, exactly. They, they, so it's a weird kind of up and down relationship they have with Dayton, but we open with a Brian Danielson backstage promo. He says tonight, he's not worried about open contract challengers for the world title. He's not worried about the embassy who attacked him in the main event of the last show. He's worried. He's focused on winning the tag titles with Jay lethal. I think he calls Roderick strong Mensa's favorite wrestler at this point, which Raven says, Hey, <laughs> and then Danielson says he picked Le- Jay Lethal to be his partner because Jay beat Samoa Joe. Jay Lethal comes into frame. He says he Jay talks. I'll just says a little bit of stuff. He keeps calling himself over and over again wrestling's hottest free agent. Says he's going to do what Samoa Joe couldn't do, and that's when the Ring of Honor tag team titles. So was the hottest free agent thing? We last last show you said maybe it's because like it's saying like different managers want to represent him, but now it might seem like it's it's referring to the fact that TNA is offering him contracts and whatnot. Yeah. Although doesn't he Jay eventually end up in the embassy for like, does he do the, does he do a spanky where he get, has like one match with the embassy on the way out or something? I, I forget. I do not recall that, but I'm I not guess, sure. I guess we'll find out. Um, that brings us to, but yeah, yeah, I could see it being a double meaning for both things. But next we go, speaking of the embassy, we go to a backstage promo of the embassy, Prince Nana, Jimmy Rafe, Alex Shelley, Abyss, and their newest member, Daisy Hayes. Uh, Nana calls Hayes his white chocolate. And, and Nana says tonight, the embassy are going to win the trios tournament and go after the world championship belt. Shelley says Spanky was a member of the embassy for only one day, and Nana paid Spanky off on that day to teach Shelley how to do the slice bread number two. Shelley says he was doing it on Nana's servants, but he's sure he could take out Brian Danielson's neck with it too. I'm still not clear on how this slice bread number two is supposed to be Brian Danielson's kryptonite, but I guess I'll just go with it and stop <laughs> stop being pedantic about that. 
Uh, Jimmy Ray thinks it's going to be great when he himself wins the Ring of Honor World title. Shelly at this point points out that he just dyed part of his hair gold to go with the Ring of Honor World title that's going to go around his waist. Rave's like, no, the title's actually silver, like the streaks on my tights. And so at this point, Nana tries to stop them from arguing, get them on the same page. He tells them that they're a team and that the focus needs to be on winning the trios tournament tonight. So that brings us to another very quick top five rankings countdown video. It'll be interesting to see how long they stick to this, Matt, because yeah. they clearly decide let's do this again for 2006. So far, we're two for two. The top five are Christopher Daniels, Jimmy Ray, Alex Shelley, Kenta still at two. I know you love that, Matt. And Jay Lethal at number one. Exactly the same as it was on the last DVD. So the matches at Hellfreeze is over change nothing. <laughs> And then we, though you also had a three show, a three match dark match section, obviously, as always, because they're dark matches, we do not get to see them. But actually, a couple of noteworthy things here, too. Um, the first one would be the first dark match would be Shane Hagedorn defeated Rhett Tice. I believe this is Rhett Tice's first match. Looking at Cage Match, I don't see any other match listed for him before that, so I don't know if this is his first match ever, but obviously, Rhett Titus, a guy who continues to wrestle the Ring of Honor. I mean, I don't know if he'll be sticking around in, uh, the new Tony Khan Ring of Honor, but he certainly was on the Ring of Honor pay-per-view that they ran a couple months ago. And so crazy that he's like one of the longest serving wrestlers probably ever in Ring of Honor. And it starts right here. Then the second dark match would be Lotus defeating Crazy J. And for those who don't know what the, who those people are, those would be better known as Dave and Jake Christ. And that was also their first ever appearances in Ring of Honor. And then finally, I like uh, those six- names better than when they just use their real names. <laughs> you, you're a big fan of Juggalo references. That's right. You love the Dark Carnival. Um, all the Joker's cards. But uh, <laughs> next we go to a dark six-man tag team match. Jason Rain, Marco Cordova, and Smash Bradley defeated Bobby Dempsey, Derek Dempsey, and Pele Primo. So nothing too noteworthy about that one. And that brings us to the opening match of the show that we did get to see, the Trios Tournament 2006 semifinal match. Generation next of Jack Evans, Matt Seidel, and Jimmy Yang defeated Adam Pierce and Lacey's Angels of B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs, scored to the ring by Lacey, of course, and they won in 11-23, Generation Next did, when Evans pinned Jimmy Jacobs after he hit the 6-30. So, Matt, first, what, what I mean, what did you think of the match? But also, I guess we should point out, Ring of obviously last year was the first ever Trios Tournament, and they made a whole show of it. it was, the show that year was titled Trios Tournament 2005. The entire show, they had like one or two extra matches, was a... Uh, Six man, uh, six man tag tournament, and uh, this year it, it was funny. Like that show is not one of the more fondly remembered sh- Ring of Honor shows of that year. Probably didn't, I imagine, didn't do that great in DVD sales. So you think, well, maybe they're going to get rid of it completely. Instead, they kind of do a half measure where the show is no longer called a trios tournament, and it's not an eight team one night tournament. It's a four team one night. You only get two round tournament, but it's still doing the tournament and it's still just like last year the each member of the winning team gets to book one match for themselves whatever they want although as we will find out one of those wrestlers will never get to use what they win but matt what'd you uh think about the match so as far as the well first of all as far as the concept i think like you said the first trios tournament was probably the worst show of that year and uh wasn't really fondly remembered and this one was much better so i think it probably worked out um this match was a whole heck of a lot of fun. Probably the best opener they've had in a lot of shows. Um, you know, maybe since the Claudio Castagnoli Alex Shelley match from um, 
this means war. Maybe even, honestly, I might have even enjoyed this more than that. I, this was just a fast pace, like big moves, you know, fun spot fest kind of match with a little bit more character work than just like your basic scramble match. So there's a little bit more um, meat to it than that substance. Um, and the crowd went nuts for it. So I was very fond of it. I, 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 this was a great way to start a show. Uh, all three of the baby faces look good. I thought this is definitely Jimmy Rave's element compared to the other matches he tried to work, the, uh, the more slow ROH style matches. He gets to just do his big moves, his, his spinny kicks and whatnot felt. You mean Jimmy Yang? You said Jimmy Rave, right? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Jimmy Yang. Yeah. Two Jimmys in this match. I can't handle it. Yeah. Um, three. Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy Jacobs is in this match, too. Oh, my God. I can't. You know, they. The Jimmy th- Rave is not. Actually, Jimmy Rave is not in this yes. match. We're going insane. Yes. <laughs> There's three <laughs> okay. Jimmys on this show. They do. Jimmy Rave, Jimmy Yang, and Jimmy Jacobs do wrestle in a four way uh, with each other. Uh, in April with Delirious as the other member um, of the match. His name is not Jimmy. But um, this is, yes, this match has Jimmy Rave. I'm not Jimmy. <laughs> Matt, we've learned that Vince McMahon is right. This is why Vince is right. Two people in the sink coming out of the sink. This is ridiculous. This, match to be Jimmy, this is Jimmy Rave and teaming with Jimmy Rave and Jimmy Rave against Jimmy Rave and Jimmy Rave. And Jimmy it just Rave. needs to be Rave, Jacobs, and Yang. That's, That's right. So Jimmy Yang... Look good in this match is what I'm trying to say compared to how he looked in other matches. And Jack Evans and Matt Seidel also were a lot of fun. Evans, I mean, Evans does some really amazing stuff in this match. For one, he does a Sasuke special Rana to BJ Whitmer, which I had totally forgotten about. And that was fucking insane. The crowd just went absolutely apeshit for that. Um, um, Yang kicks Whitmer and Jacobs hits him with a Rana onto the floor. Um, I'm just going to try to go through some, like some of the big spots here. Cause there's a lot of really cool ones. Um, they, they get the heat on Seidel for a little while. Whitmer power bombs Jacobs onto Seidel, which is, you know, just their classic double team move. Um, he gets a, a Whitmer gets a big spine buster on Seidel and Pierce hits a pretty impressive delayed brain buster. You know, Pierce hadn't gotten to show that much so far, but he gets to be a little bit more serious and intense here, and I think he looks pretty good. Um, Jacobs hits a bunch of neck breakers, so he's like targeting Seidel's neck, but it doesn't seem like they really are continuing that focus throughout the match. That's just like a, a short sequence. Um, at one point, Seidel jumps off of Pierce's chest and hits kind of a, a sloppy, stumbly tornado DDT and makes the hot tag to Yang. Um, which I was hoping that the hot tag would be to Evans, but I guess he's still to come later. And so Yang hits a bunch of kicks, pretends to be hurt at one point to sucker Whitmer in and does a kip up to milk a big pop, uh, which the crowd obliges and gives him. Um, Jacob spears Yang and Yang does this ridiculous flip bump off of it. And I got to say, I enjoy Jimmy Yang in this match, but I didn't like that. <laughs> I don't think that, that bump made a lot of sense. I, do you remember that? Yeah, like, I agree that this was definitely Jimmy Yang's um, best night probably so far in Ring of Honor, but there was still a little bit of Jimmy Yangness in there, here and there. The kind, yeah, the, the the negative side of that, yeah. That, yeah. That, 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 was, that was probably the silliest thing that I noticed him doing. 
Um, one thing that happened late in the match is they would do all these spots where everyone was in the ring doing combos and, and stuff, but Sinclair would, would Sinclair, the, uh, the ref, he kept really strict, um, track of who the legal person was. So like Pierce hit a big splash on Evans, but Sinclair wouldn't count because neither of them were legal. And then Seidel hit a standing moonsault and Sinclair wouldn't count that. Um, and then Whitmer hits a suplex combo and a power bomb. But again, Sinclair won't count that on Seidel because I guess Whitmer and Yang were the legal people during that point. Um, Yang hit a really cool corkscrew body press for two. Uh, Whitmer hit a sudden exploder. Then um, Jake, Jacobs and Evan tag in and Jacobs does a big boot and Evans does his own flip bump. So a lot of flip bumps in this match. Um, at one point, Evans is on the top rope and Lacey trips him and that allows Jacobs to capitalize. Um at one point, um, Lacey's in danger and D- Jacobs is just like desperately trying to save her and that distracts him enough for Seidel to hit him with the here it is driver and that's when Evan hits the 630 on Jacobs for the pin. So they even got some character work in there with Jacobs trying to save Lacey and that costing them the match and that will come into play later during a- another promo. But it was all action. Um, you know, there was sloppy stuff in a match like this where they're trying so much, but... The crowd was electric. They gave an ROH chant at the end. You can't beat the energy. I thought it was a really, really fun opener. Yeah, um, I, I completely agree. You covered most of the big high high spot highlights, but like, and also I, Jimmy Rave was in the match. <laughs> in my heart, he was. He's in every match, but um, no, I thought this was really pretty darn good. Like. I don't think like a must see, but a little bit better than I expected. And there's a lot of guys in this match that I like. And I almost called this uh, in my notes. I wrote, it's a reverse crazy sandwich because it was kind of like wild, like everyone doing crazy stuff for the first couple of minutes going in and out. And the last couple of minutes were like that. And the middle was more of a standard six man with Matt Seidel selling. So I wrote in my notes, it's like a crazy sandwich. If the crazy was the bread and the regular match was the meat in the middle, and then I just kind of gave up on that note. But <laughs> <laughs> um, we can't all be winners. But uh, that sounded uh, like a winner to me. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, yeah, I, 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 I thought I agree. I thought Jimmy Yang this was his best performance. And I don't know how much of that was he just had his working shoes on, and how much of that was maybe six-man tags where he just tags in, hits a couple crazy moves, and doesn't have to carry a whole match at this point. Like, maybe that just was better suited to his strengths that he was exhibiting at this stage of his career. A combination of both of those things, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, the 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 Sasuke special into the, uh, the Space Flying Tire drop into the Rana was nuts, as you said. Um, the one thing I didn't like was, like you said, I, you know, I've rented about this on the show before. I cannot stand the... Every, I mean, it happened over and over again in a row, like you said, to the point where it seemed like it was almost on purpose, where wrestlers covering guys and the refs saying, you're not legal, so I can't count it. Because they're so up and down about using that. To me, again, either do that all the time, like either strictly catch it every single time and make it so the wrestlers learn to take that seriously or ignore it all the time. Either way is acceptable to me, but because there's nothing fun in wrestling – about watching guys hit like big fast near falls and then awkwardly like stare at a referee and be like, what? I'm not legal. And then have to like walk away. Like it just, it's not a fun moment in a match. And 
you know, it, it's not something a wrestler should ever do. They should either know it's always allowed or it's never allowed. And it seems like Ring of Honor is one of those things in Ring of Honor where every few months they decide, oh, we should take this seriously. And like a lot of things, like various ranking systems in Ring of Honor, they, or like, you know, people doing New Year's resolutions after like a few weeks, like, oh, this is tough. Let's not do this anymore. And they just forget about it. And then, like you mentioned also, yeah, there's this is really the start in the ring of the Jimmy Loves Lacey stuff. We saw the promo on the last show, which was kind of the the kickoff period. But this is the first match where we're seeing Jacobs, you know, like really fawning over Lacey right as he comes out through the curtain. He uh, at one point, he is so distracted just talking to Lacey as he stands on the ring apron that when Adam Pierce like wants to make a tag, he's not even paying attention. And Adam Pierce gets pissed. Um, Then later, like you said, where uh, Lacey tries to stop, I think, Jack Evans, and then Jack Evans, like, grabs her. Jimmy, like, sees Red and just goes apeshit and, like, loses control and, like, takes him down and tries to beat the shit out of him in a way you don't see from kind of, like, the happy-go-lucky Jimmy Jacobs character. So definitely, in that sense, some um, good character development. And then uh, after the match, everyone on Jimmy's team browbeats him as he sucks up to Lacey. Whitmer screams, where's your fucking head, Adam? So he's we're teasing Dissension, Matt. It's almost like there's a show. The next show that happens the night later is called Dissension. So um, a lot of stuff there going on. We'll see a bunch of Dissension being seated in all sorts of ways throughout the show. And that brings us to the second match of the show, the other semifinal in the Trios Tournament 2006, the Embassy of Abyss, Alex Shelley, and Jimmy Rave uh, defeated Jay Fury, Sal Renaro, and Tony Mamaluke in 1546 when Shelley pinned Fury after he hit a kick to the nuts and then sliced bread number two, the, the move that puts them all down lately, Matt. Um, I would say this is definitely not as good as the opener. It was more of your very much your basic kind of mid-range undercard. Let's do some stuff match. There isn't really a story to it beyond the heels cheating a bit. The match doesn't really flow either. Like it, it feels just more like the way sometimes some tags and multi-man matches do where it's like tag, you tags in, you, you got a mid, do whatever you feel like doing tag outs the next guy's turn. It doesn't really to me kind of, coalesce into like feeling like more like a, have a, a really unified match uh maybe the most notable thing to me about this match was how limited the use of abyss was in this match who despite being pretty over he doesn't get tagged in until 10 minutes in the first time he does get tagged in he does two moves and tags immediately back out the second time he tags in he does one move and tags out and then at the end of the match he gets to do a little bit more but they were very sparing in their use of abyss in this match I will say it's not that this match is bad. I would say like it's slightly above average. I, I would say it's a match where everyone gets to do what they're kind of good at. Uh, Jimmy Rave stalls. Fury does a couple athletic, really cool spots, including a crazy dive to the floor. Mama Luke takes it to the mat like he usually does. Sal Renaro kicks his, gets, gets his ass kicked and sells a lot is usually what happens to him in Ring of Honor. Um, you know, so on. Alex Shelley to me was the highlight of the match. He's really, I thought Alex Shelley in both the, his matches tonight. Just really on another level in turning being a really fun, expressive, charismatic heel. He's like tearing a fan's sign in half before the match. He's biting hands. At one point, Rave is simultaneously biting a hand with him. He's stomping feet. He even does the old, I'm holding my opponent's hand out to like tease that, oh, he could make a tag, but he's just not quite there. Except this time it actually backfires on him because his opponent actually lunges while Shelly's holding his hand out and does make the tag. Um, in, in, in terms of like, Comparing this to the first match, like this match is probably better technically executed. It doesn't have the sloppiness that first match had that you mentioned. But in terms of just being entertaining, like it's not even close. That other match just had higher 
ambitions, I would say. Yeah, I mean, on the on the other hand, you wouldn't want two matches in a row to try to do what that first match did. Like that match, like was a, it was a you know a special little thing, uh, you know, unusual. That's what made it fun, right? This match is just more yeah. of like what you would expect a, a trios match to be. Um, and it was, I think I liked it a little bit more than you. I thought this was a solid three star affair. Um, and uh, you know, it's a sort of match where the finish is a completely foregone conclusion. I mean. Renaro, Fury, and Mama Luke. Like, that's, like, obviously they're not going to win, right? Like, against the, the embassy. Um, and this was, you know, ROH, um, Fury's ROH debut. And I, and I guess why I like this match a little more than you, I think it's just, I always love Rave and Shelly together. Yeah. Um, I think that they, like, just watching this, I don't think I realized in memory, like, how good their chemistry was. And man, they could have they could have had a run together. Obviously, Shelley wasn't going to be in ROH for so much longer. Um, that's part of, I guess, why they didn't really continue down the path. I don't remember when Shelley's last like Shelley's last ROH match as like a a really consistent member of the roster was. But I'm thinking it was probably before the 2006 halfway point. Um, if I guess we'll see. Um, you know, he comes back a few times with the Motor City machine guns, but I don't think he's really like the like the embassy version of Alex Shelley. I think is pretty much done after like April or May of of '06, and I think they could have they could have really been a special combo. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Um, yeah, like you know what's funny about Alex Shelley is what I would say is I think you agree. We've talked about this before that like Alex Shelley was underused and really like he could have done more than he got asked to do and maybe part of that was the tna thing but i think the funny thing about like revisiting this i I was kind of surprised by this run like you you just said you were like i feel like this is the run where from a booking standpoint like shelly's being the most underused to just be back in like this mid card to upper mid card heel unit and just be like one of the guys but in terms of like his performance as a character i feel like he's never been better and he seems like he's having the most fun. So it's kind of weird because, you know, it doesn't feel like he's as high on the totem pole as he was when he was in Generation Next or even when those first few months when he was kind of like out of Generation Next and teasing the feud with Ares and being kind of like the man without a friend. But yet, in from a performance, like this is the best, most fun I've ever had watching Alex Shelley probably you know, as a character. Yeah, he's firing on all cylinders. I am looking forward to rewatching, going back and seeing that match that he has against Danielson a few shows from now because, you know, that's a well-remembered match. And, uh, you know, that'll give him – we'll get to really see him uh, get a chance to shine there. Um, the other thing was I thought that Jay, Jay Fury looked pretty good here. Um, in ter- I mean, again, it's another thing where you don't have to b- have a complete match if you're in a trios match because you could just yeah. come in and pick your spots. And I thought his spots looked good. Um, he, he did some some cool high spots. And, um, yeah, I mean we'll see similarly in the second embassy match later that they really hold off on abyss for a mm-hmm. while but abyss does get to do more in that match uh than he does in this one but i think that i think that he really plays his role well and the other embassy guys play well off of him um the thing is because he plays his role so well the crowd cheers him against baby faces <laughs> right they, like they, they chanted yeah. fu- they, they they did like a fuck him up chant like when abyss was do on his offense you know he's, but you know, like you said, he saves his biggest moves for um, for the for the second match. Um, at one point, uh, this is just a fun spot. Rave is chopping Renaro in the chest, so Renaro covers up, and Rave just chops him in the head instead. Oh and, yeah! And, and I gotta say, 
that should be a babyface spot. Like, that should be something that, like, Roderick Strong does. Because, like, it makes Renaro look kind of dumb, which is, I guess, fine because they're not pushing him. But, like, it's just something, like, like a cool, badass chopping guy would do, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, it's like it's, like, almost too cool for the position that they're putting Jimmy Raven, who's not supposed to seem cool. Um, but it was a really cool spot, right? Um, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I liked the match. I thought it was a good match because I liked the character work and I thought Jay Fury looked good. I mean, we don't really get to see much more of Jay Fury in ROH. I think he has a few more matches, but they never actually go with him there. But this was a good beginning for him. It's kind of similar to, um, Jarrell Clark, which is, who was yeah. another FIP guy they brought in, and I thought looked pretty good in his matches, but they, for whatever reason, decided not to do too much with him. I know Jarrell Clark gets some more chances to have big matches in ROH later in 2006, but you know, I know just because it's many years later that they also never really do much with him in ROH either. So it's just it's just interesting. These guys, it's not like they show up and they don't impress. Like I thought Jay Fury did his job exactly as he needed to here, but never really gets any traction. Yeah, there's like a whole crop of guys, like also like J- Jason Blade and Kid Mikasi. Like there's a crop of like new young flippy do guys that Ring of Honor is trying out. And they all, at least to, to this point, I think of all, none of them have blown their opportunities. I think they've all been varying degrees of impressive. And yet, yeah, like none of them really end up capturing a full-time job. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Like do they end up just having worse performances or does – you know, it, it's weird because yeah, so far I haven't seen a bum really like a performance from any of them where I would go, man, that wasn't good. I don't want to see this guy anymore. Um, a couple of questions I'll ask you, Matt. First, was there a Ricky Schroeder chant for Alex Shelley's new semi-blonde eye job? Because y- yes, I, there was. I wrote that down too. I forgot to mention that. Yes, there was. Which I I wrote down. Hmm. I don't remember noted right wing maniac Rick Schroeder looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing I thought was uh, I thought uh, this ended up being an awesome spot, but then it ended up being kind of cute in the in the main event callback. So there's a spot in this match where Sal Renaro's chasing Alex Shelley around the ring, and as he's chasing him, Daisy Hayes catches Cell as he's running. She jumps off the ring apron and just crushes him with a huge crossbody, and you know just come by surprise. It looks really cool, and I like it because if you watch the video. After she hits him with this huge crossbody off the apron, you can tell that she's, like, checking on him, like, whispering in his ear, are you okay? And you can tell as soon as Renaro says yes, she then slaps him really hard on the chest. And it's funny because, like, in the main event, Daisy Hayes' one big interference spot, I forget who it is, but it's someone else that's also lying on the floor. And Daisy does the exact same open hand slap to the chest. Like, that's her go-to move. Like I think it's, just, I think it's Seidel in the, in the, in yeah. the second match. So yeah, 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 it is. You're right. You're right. And I just like the very distinctive, like the over the hand. You're lying on your back. I'm standing. Like chest slap is her go-to heel interference move. But uh, next we have clips of the Colt Cabana homicide feud, where while putting both men over, a Jim Cornette voiceover tells us that they're being given a cooling off period this weekend until they can resolve their issues in the ring and not outside it like common thugs. Uh, Cornette says he hopes that can happen soon, them resolving it. So, yeah, just a quick little, you know, again, I, I like, as always, we always mention, like, I like when Ring of Honor, which they often did, goes the extra mile to explain, like, oh, here's why these two guys who are on every show are not on this show. And they try and tie it into a story rather than homicide shoulders hurt and Colt Cabana's in Japan. So, always appreciate that. 
And that brings us to Claudio, Claudio Castagnoli defeated Chad Collier via pinfall in 10 minutes, 54 seconds, using what I wrote was some weird arm trap, leg trap pin thing. Um, Matt, two wrestlers I really like, but this match ends up getting kind of overshadowed by uh, something that happens during it, right? Yeah, this is the first of two matches that are basically backdrops for the uh, continued Chris Hero angle um, that I guess will become the full-on CZW feud. Um, but um, they do, you know, work a little match before that. Um, there's a there's one cool spot. First of all, Collier has his full head of hair back, so there is a "Where's the Mohawk?" chant at him. Um, there's one cool spot where um, Collier whips Claudio into the ropes, but Claudio does like a wacky lucha style flip and bounce back off the ropes, and then sends Collier to the floor before teasing a dive and doing a "Hey!" instead. Um, so I, I enjoyed that. Um, I also liked when Collier just knocks Claudio's arm against the mat in between his holds. I thought like. I really do enjoy watching Chad Collier. I know a lot of people think he's boring, but and you start hearing some boring chants as Collier locks in an arm bar, and I'm like, I don't think that's boring. I wonder why the crowd is chanting boring. And at this point, I got it. As far as me like being stupid and um, thinking that everybody's Jimmy Rave, um, here's another thing that was stupid that I thought. So at one point, Leonard asked Prazak, "Do you see what I see?" and you know, that was obviously he's referring to – subtly referring to Chris Hero and Necro Butcher in the crowd. Channing Boring. Um, but at first, I was like, what is he talking about? And I thought he was talking about Collier having a wedgie <laughs> because <laughs> at that point, Prezak's like, just focus on the match. Um, and I'm like, he doesn't want to bring attention to Collier's wedgie. But then I realized <laughs> I was just looking at Collier's butt, which you know what? Fine, right? I mean, that's that's cool. Nice butt. Um, but um, yeah, he. I mean, the wedgie wasn't so bad, so I guess it would have been weird if Lenny Leonard pointed it out. But it was a little bit of a wedgie, anyway. Um, Collier um kind of worked on Claudio's arms. He got armbar, got something co- close to a key lock at one point. They have a chop battle at one point, and as they fight, the crowd starts paying more and more attention to Chris Hero in the crowd. They chant, fuck you, hero, and that chant gets louder and louder. And this is when Gabe, Jimmy Bauer, comes in the booth to tell Leonard not to mention hero's name. And apparently hero was the one who started the boring chant. And, you know, they they keep wrestling. Claudio hits a TKO-style thingy for two. Collier blocks a Ricola bomb, hits a Saito suplex. And then he goes for what Prezak calls that arm submission, but... I just want to be clear. It is not that arm submission, as <laughs> Nigel McGuinness uh, utilized so effectively. Um, Claudio makes the ropes. Um, Collier goes out for a chair because he likes using chairs nowadays. And that's when a steel comes out to take the chair away from Collier. And as he pulls it away, Collier walks into a wacky Claudio roll-up for the for the win. Um, I thought the match was was going okay, but it was like really hard to get invested in it because of the extracurricular stuff. So I would say the match was just sort of like a throwaway just because of all that. But, you know, I thought the work wasn't bad. It was just more like that's not really that important to uh, what they were trying to present here. Also, Collier uh, kind of had a wedgie, I guess. (laughs) Lost the Mohawk, gained a wedgie. Um, Yeah, I agree. This uh, this was halfway between a match 
and a backdrop for a couple of angles. Like, I, I felt like it was more than, like, they did do a fair bit of wrestling, so I can't just say it was just an angle. But I thought the first few minutes, they weren't anything special. But I thought, oh, like, these are two wrestlers I really like quite a bit, and they could be on their way to having a really good match. And then uh, when Claudio started selling his shoulder, you know, he gets thrown into the uh, the corner, and I don't know if he was supposed to just hit the t- corner, but instead he, like, misses the turnbuckle and just flies through like the top and middle ropes to the floor. And it looked really cool. And he started selling his shoulder from that. But I was like, man, I, I wonder if he intended to do that. Cause sometimes guys do, but sometimes I feel like guys don't mean to take that to the floor. But either way, at that point in the match, Collier started working on the, uh, the shoulder and it was very slow and deliberate. And I usually like Chad Collier's work. Like I'm a, I'm a Chad Collier fan too. And I thought this was kind of slower and more boring and very simplistic. And that was right around hero started doing like the boring chant. So part of was trying to wonder, like was Collier deliberately doing that to kind of give hero like space to be the focus of the match. But then I thought maybe, maybe that's not true because then in the final few minutes, they really do start going back to like, much more all action trying to have a, a good end to a match. So maybe that, that I thought, well, maybe that theory of mine is wrong, but it's sad because I felt like these two could have had a significantly better match. I don't know how much of that was just them being thrown off by the angle or what, but like I thought Claudio on this night seemed very light on his feet and he was always like an athletic big man. Like you mentioned that part where he does like the bounce into the ropes where he's like on his, he's upside down bouncing the ropes and then back flipping back off. Like he just seemed like very spry on this. And I wish we could have seen him get to show off a bit more like that. But, oh, you were going to say something? I was going to say, I agree with you that they could have had a better match, but I don't agree that it's sad because I think that uh, focusing on the CZW thing was, was the better move. Yes. It is funny too where like, until the angle develops in the next match, like if they if they didn't mention it was Chris Hero and Necro Booker, you wouldn't be able to tell at this point because even though they're staying in the crowd opposite the hard camera, the the crowd isn't lit. So if you're looking really hard, you can kind of make out vaguely that they're tall. Hero- that they're tall guys back there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say that there's a Chris Hero shaped blob, you know, maybe, but you'd have to really know that what you're looking for, and um, and then obviously like you mentioned, yeah, the finish plays into the Chad Collier Ace Steel feud where Chad Collier loves chairs now. Like you said, that's a great way to put it. And Ace Steel stops him. And then, of course, then Collier just walks right back into a, a pin. So that brings us to the next match, which is, well, actually, first we'll go to uh, immediately after the match. Steel attacks Collier in the ring, but Chad quickly escapes to ringside um, and he starts walking to the back. Ace grabs the mic while he's still in the ring and he calls Collier um, a Dean Malenko clone. Ace screams that he do- that he personally doesn't die. He says he's got Collier's ass beat at Chicago, WrestleMania, and he does this weird, I don't know if it's intentional, awkward pause, and then says, weekend, WrestleMania weekend. And um, he says, either way, Collier's going to die somewhere. Ace is at this point, I notice he's bleeding like a little bit from the chest. I don't know if he accidentally comes off like going into the ring. Um, Ace says he came to kick ass and chew bubble gum. He then spits his gum into the front row like he hits a fan, which I was like, you. And he says, I'm all out of bubble gum. And he calls out Sterling James Keenan for their match tonight. And then at that point, Sterling James Keenan came out. And poor Sterling James Keenan, the future Corey Graves. Like, it feels like he's such a whipping boy. He gets no respect in Ring of Honor. Like, before the next the match starts, Ace gets back on the mic and he says, Oh, I've went from a Dean Malenko clone to a CM Punk clone. Just <laughs> like, gratuitous. He didn't need to do that, Ace. You could have yeah. just left it alone. 
And that brings us to HDL versus Sterling Keenan. Went to a no contest in 6 minutes, 20 seconds. This was a continuation of the last match, and then these guys wrestle a competent but kind of just their standard average match as Hero. And this match, more than the last one even, is just nothing but a backdrop to Hero and Necro Butcher heckling. But this time, rather than the last match where the wrestlers were basically mostly ignoring it, this match, both guys stop the match at points to acknowledge the heckling. And, of course, the match ends when Steel literally gets on the mic and just is, like starts calling them out and they hit the ring and that's the end of the match. I would say the most notable spot before the end of the match was at one point Ace picked up Keenan for a power bomb. He didn't get a good grip, and rather than trying to save it, he just awkwardly like dropped him like a bag of shit. And what could have been dangerous, like it, like it's like he didn't really take any effort to take care of. He's just like, this isn't working. I'm just going to drop you, and just kind of fell weird on his side. So. Uh, the match ends. Ace gets on the mic. Starts yet. The match ends when Ace gets on the mic. He starts yelling at Hero and Necro. And by, and by the way, by the way, before you before you mention that, um, I just want to. So Gabe keeps coming into the uh to the booth to talk trash about Hero and stuff. And I'm just very confused. Is Jimmy Bauer fired or what? Uh, they're always acting like he's an alcoholic that still shows up to the shows, but like is there to eat concessions and then. But he seems I to guess- care a lot about this whole angle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it is weird, like, like whenever Jimmy Bauer does these little run-ins, like, because the idea always with Ring of Honor, remember, is like, even though this is all po- post-produced commentary, the, they always treat it like they're actually in the building watching it live. So, like, it's the, I, I get to what you're saying, like, it's the idea that, like, Jimmy Bauer is always constantly hovering by commentary, even though he doesn't have that job anymore, like, he's always just feet away if he gets angry, he's just gonna walk up to the booth and grab a mic. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird to imagine how this works, but, um, so yeah, um, Ace gets on the mic, starts yelling at Hero and Necro for heckling. The Hero and Necro make their way to the barricade as the crowd chants the Hero's a pussy. Butcher, Necro Butcher then jumps the barricade and he starts taking off his shoes. Like, I'm not gonna wrestle, you know, gotta wrestle barefoot. Uh, Hero grabs the house mic. He takes exception to Ace saying that they're not good enough for Ring of Honor. He says Ring of Honor is fucking shitty. <laughs> he and Necro then try and get in the ring, but a ton of students and security hold them back. Butcher does eventually get in the ring, but he's held down. BJ Whitmer and Nigel McGuinness make the way to ringside. Um, Hero gets dragged out of the building as Ace gets back on the mic and says, that, get those combat zone jerk-offs out of here. They're not wanted here. We then see what I described as a fracas uh, backstage, except... Not really. A riot! No, it's a riot! <laughs> except there's no real good lighting in the immediate backstage area, so we don't really see much of what's going on. But eventually we see Hero make his way to the better lit, like, actual back room of the building. He gets thrown out of it, out of the back door, into outside. We see Low-Key standing by with a chair in his hand. The crowd's chanting, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye. We then cut again to the backstage area, where Jim Cornette's mouth is all bloody, Christopher Daniels is asking Cornette if he's okay. Jim says he has a broken tooth. He says, I didn't see who blindsided me. We then cut, and we see now that Necro Butcher is being dragged backstage by an army of people as he gets thrown out of the building as well. I think Jack Evans calls Necro a homophobic slur and says this isn't CZW. He sure does Cor- call him a homophobic slur. Yep. And then uh, Cornette starts screaming at Gabe Sapolsky, who we see backstage. Um, Cornette tells Gabe, you know, you told me that there, there wouldn't be any hardcore shit in Ring of Honor. You lied to me. And then the camera follows Cornette as he walks to the ring. 
Adam Pierce by his side, along with VJ Whitmer and Austin Aries are also out there. Quant's mouth is covered in blood, like his face, and especially his mouth, all bloody. He grabs the mic and he says he hasn't been having a very good month. He didn't come to Dayton by God, Ohio, to have his teeth knocked down his throat by hardcore wrestlers trying to make a reputation. The crowd chants for Cornette big. Um, Cornette then says he may look like Jethro Bodine, as always, Cornette with the very timely references. And he may talk like Elmer Fudd, but thanks to the Ring of Honor wrestlers, the CCW guys look a lot worse right now. Elmer Fudd was hot in 2006. <laughs> this isn't even close to Space Jam, Matt. Um, Cornette says that he now has a problem with Gabe, and they're going to have to talk in a minute. But first, he calls out, he calls down Chris Hero and Necro Butcher. He calls them hardcore garbage wrestlers who use barbed wire, thumbtacks, set themselves on fire, and shove AIDS-infected hyperdermic needles up people's asses. Cornette says they don't have one. I don't know if he's ever seen Chris Hero wrestle. I think. Uh, Cornette says they don't have one-tenth of the talent, ability, dedication, or courage of the Ring of Honor guys. He says that these CZW guys, they have a morbid need, a twisted fascination with impressing a small group of fans who go to CD bars and peep shows to see their freak shows. He says they've gone to a real promotion now in Ring of Honor to try and make a name for themselves. And in CZW, they put the cop fights on last because the wrestlers can't follow the chickens. Um Cornette says he's telling Gabe and Carrie and everyone here he doesn't know who knocked out his tooth, but he's going to find out. A fan, I guess, starts heckling Cornette. We can't really hear it, but clearly someone must have because Cornette then tells that fan to staple a $50 bill to his head so he can get laid. I wrote in my notes, it's that easy? Question mark. Like, it seems like even then you probably wouldn't get laid, Matt. Um, that then. Anyways. I don't know. Somebody's like, oh, man, $50. <laughs> And then at that point, Cornette gets a big uh, crowd chant. Cornette says he has a deal that as long as he's commissioner in Ring of Honor, there will be no hardcore shit. And he is sticking to that, worrying the CZW guys that if they try this on future Ring of Honor shows, they have guys that will stick their heads so far up their own asses, they'll have to clear customs getting their heads back out. By the way, I just thought, because of inflation, you'd probably nowadays have to staple a $100 bill to your head. <laughs> the price is only getting higher, Matt. Um Oh, there's a lot to mention here, man. Uh, so yes, there is. I'll, first, I'll say I thought this is a good angle. I think it was mostly due to Cornette. I, I thought he took a standard, decently executed kind of dudes that aren't supposed to be here get tossed out of the building angle, and he elevated it with his anger, his promo, his blood and missing teeth, especially, which was a very striking visual. So, so like, I, what was that? Was that like, like ketchup or something like what was what was the deal like how, like I, like what are they what are, i mean because i mean he did he was he did have a tooth knocked out right so like yeah. so like what i mean but i don't think he, not, he had it knocked out then and there because that would be no. weird <laughs> um uh, we'll get to it later but there's there's a reason I'll, I'll ask you a question about a little bit but i thought um cornet sometimes seems ill-fitting for ring of honor i still like even some of his outdate some stuff times he seems outdated but i thought overall he did a really good job here, and I thought he got a crowd that was probably just excited to see crazy things happen. He really rallied the troops in a way, like he really got the crowd booing CZW and cheering ROH and cheering for him. And I also liked that um he was he was mad at everybody. Like he was also mad at Gabe, not just like CZW. Like I I thought that kind of sold some realism to the idea that like you know he's not just mad. You know the wrestling logic would be you're just very hyper focused on who, you know, who was the invader. But, you know, Cornette's throwing in this whole idea of, like, I was promised there wouldn't be this whole hardcore bullshit, so now I'm pissed at Gabe. We're going to have to have a talk. He's calling out Carrie Silken, even, the owner. I I actually liked it. I like that he's kind of cranky everyone. Like, even, like, when he's walking back to the – 
out of the ring afterwards, some fan gets near him or something, and he's just like, get, don't touch you or get away. Like, he, like, he's being pissed off at everybody. He's something that he's just super angry and, you know, it, in a way that really worked for me. But I do have some problems. And I think one is first, and you just touched on it with your, one of your comments, which is this is a problem we're going to see more of as the CZW Ring of Our Feud, which is great if it lives up to my memories. But this is one problem of it is Corian has like a few stock lines for hardcore wrestling and they don't always apply. And so like you touched on like where he's talking about like Chris Hero and Nick Robert are these two hardcore wrestlers who do barbed wire and shit. It's like Chris Hero is anything but a hardcore wrestler. Like he's the opposite, the first thing from it. And likewise, when he's talking about how like CCW shows like their peep show, they wrestle to very tiny crowds at peep shows and bars. It's like they just probably did a bigger crowd in Philly for Kate for cage of death than maybe any show ring of honors ever done. Probably the only show ring of honor had done in Philly to um, border. It would be like that final battle 2004 with all the all Japan guys. Mudo. Yeah, oh three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh three. Yeah. You're, you're right. And, um, and you know, even like, you could argue that working co-promoting with CCW with that on the Hell Freezes Over show, you know, that brought Ring of Honor their best crowd in Philly in a while, better than Kobashi. So like the idea of Cornet doing the line of like, oh, CCW is this tiny company. I mean, I realize it's for an angle, but if you if you're a fan in the know, this idea that CW CCW in Philly is this tiny company that the wrestlers there need to get Ring of Honor for their notoriety. CCW was kind of saving Ring of Honor's ass in Philly at this point. So that was weird. I have other things to say, but Matt, first like. I mean, what do you think about this whole thing? I mean, it's definitely quite a thing here. Well, Meltzer was writing at the, that time that, like, Cornette was doing the best promos in wrestling in a long yeah. time. And, like, in some ways it's true um, because he did have a lot of passion. He certainly delivers stuff. And like you said, he rallies the troops. And he did ele- elevate this angle. But, like, as an in, as a fan of, like, indie wrestling, his ignorance of indie wrestling was distracting. Um, like you, like you kind of said, like the way he talks about CZW, exactly, exactly what you said. Like, it's not like it's just this dirty, like hardcore thing. Like they, they booked a lot of, at this point, CZW was probably less a fully like hardcore promotion than it had ever been. Right. Cause they, they yeah. were booking like some of the top indie guys from around the country, um, mm-hmm. and had all kinds of matches, including, and their, their tag team champions were Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli, I believe at the time, weren't they? Um, it, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. If not at this exact moment, then certainly around that time. Um, it's just like I wish that Jim Cornette, if he was going to be the mouthpiece for ROH during this, because I mean, and he should have been. He was a great talker, but like, I wish he thought it important to familiarize himself with what yeah. CZW actually was, um, instead of just being like, "Oh yeah, it's this dirty like underground hardcore thing." The other thing is. You know, listening to it with 2022 ears and, you know, maybe even with 2006 ears, you know, and obviously I was a bigger fan of ROH's style than CZW's style. Like, that's why I watched ROH and didn't always watch CZW or didn't actually watch CZW that much. Um, But the way he talks about it and their fans and stuff, it makes him feel like a heel to me. Like, like, oh, like, like almost like elitist, like, oh, these, you know, these are these, like, it's almost like you want to be on the side of the underdogs a little bit. It's like, oh, the, oh, the, you know, the, the CZW people, like, oh, they're not, they don't, they don't treat us with respect. You know what I mean? Like, I could see wanting to root for CZW in that case because of the way he, like, he just, how dismissive he is of CZW's wrestlers when 
you know, I think that's probably, I mean, I get it, like, but I feel like there's a way to straddle the line without being so elitist sounding. And obviously, he's not the only one that does that. Obviously, you know, Gabe is like, you know, get those guys out of here. And, you know, even when Brian Danielson does some promos later on in uh, uh, with CZW crowds, he kind of strikes a similar note. But on the other hand, Brian Danielson is sort of trying to be a heel at the same time. So it makes a little more sense when he does it. Um, but, like, I don't know. I don't think this should have been about, like, Redux hardcore wrestling versus pure wrestling. And I don't think it totally was. Like, I, I, there, there's more to it than that. It's about two rival promotions, not just about, like, and, you know, they do have different philosophies, but it's not hardcore versus pure wrestling only because both companies did both of those things. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Does that make sense? No, Am I rambling? Th- that, you, you hit on a point I wanted to ask you about, which I think you, you hit it right on the head, um, which is, it feels like Cornet is trying to redo a feud Ring of Honor already, already did. If you're a long-time Ring of Honor fan, like, does it, I was going to ask you, doesn't it seem weird to you where Cornet mentions multiple times this promo, like, he yells it right to Gabe's face backstage, and then he mentions it on the mic, like, Gabe promised me there'd be no hardcore shit in Ring of Honor. They literally did an entire feud in 2004 Ring of Honor, all about hardcore wrestling versus pure wrestling, which is Ring of Honor really about, you know, where it was yeah. kind of Ricky Steamboat side versus Mick Foley side, they had, yeah. like, wrestlers as surrogates for them. And I, and, made, the and, I made, and I made this joke last month that ROH stands for Ring of Hardcore, because that's what they said, but, like... It's true. They do, they do like big brawling matches like fairly regularly. Noteworthy ones. They'll do some really major ones coming up in the next few shows that have nothing to do with CZW. So it's like, how much did Jim Cornette really pay attention to ROH? Yeah. And, and, or, or like, how, much, and how much was it like this fantasy that he had of like old school wrestling, which as we know, that is not what ROH was at all. Yeah. And like that feud ended with, um, uh, just to, for people that did not listen to those shows or watch those Ring of Honor shows, that feud ended with with um, Steamboat and Foley basically agreeing that, like, oh, there's room for regular wrestling and hardcore wrestling in Ring of Honor. And it feels like, in a sense, like like you were saying, yeah, either Cornet doesn't pay attention. It feels like they basically rolled the clock back two years where Cornet's now acting like, you know, like Steamboat did at the start of that feud where, like, hardcore wrestling has no place in Ring of Honor – like yeah, and like you said, like since year one, there's been hardcore wrestling, quote unquote, in Ring of Honor. Like the opening shows, you know, had crazy carnage, crew brawls, and lots of blood. And the the, the first year had an Abdullah the Butcher match, Matt. Like, um, you know, so that part feels weird that they they're trying to sell this idea that Ring of Honor isn't about doesn't do hardcore wrestling. And I, I realize there's like a line they have to walk, but that's a little weird. Um, the, uh, oh, I was just going to think, uh, what was I thinking? Oh, crap. There's so much weird stuff. Oh, so the other thing I want to ask you, I don't think I recall this on my notes, but then I started watching like Chris Hero shooter reviews to get more details. And he mentioned something. And I don't think I saw this on the footage. Like when Chris Hero, when he's talking about the angle that happened on this night, one thing he really loves about it is he says, we got to like tear down the entire entrance set. And I don't think you ever get to see that. Like he, he no. mentioned that like multiple times, like how much he loved that. And you you get to see them constantly getting like going like getting thrown backstage and then thrown out of the building, but I don't think you ever get to see them like tear anything down. Was it definitely supposed to be on this show? 
I think it was the Dayton show because Hero does not even work the next show, the next night. Necro does. But there, but we'll there get- is the Weekend of Champions show in April in Dayton that does have more CZW stuff. So is it possible that it was that show or was it definitely the, 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 the show He in, might in have January? confused them. He was talking about this one, but he might have confused the shows. But he's definitely talking about the show in the sense that he's talking about being the one that heckled. And Hero talked about how weird it was for him to like he says i don't know how fans he's in one shoot he goes i don't know how fans do it because i was really uncomfortable heckling wrestlers like in the crowd yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, that, that 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 makes sense i yeah and, and he talked about how like he was having to like, like acknowledge to fans that like oh i'm tag team like you mentioned earlier like i'm tag team partners claudio but now i'm also heckling him like he had to figure out ways i guess and obviously watching the dvd we can't really make out his heckles other than just boring but he i guess he was trying to find ways to heckle to kind of make it make sense why would you be heckling like your your um tag partner so we'll go into um this note actually from the observer that actually uh brings out the the tooth stuff and we can talk a bit about that just a little bit um dave Meltzer wrote from his live reports Hero and Necro Butcher came to the ring in Dayton holding tickets, and then Dave wrote in parentheses, they forgot to have them torn, although Butcher apparently realized it and tore his ticket before he waved it later. I love that attention to detail from the Necro Butcher. Um, they were heckling the Claudio Casagnoli versus Chad Collier match, and Hero was trying to make it seem real, since he acknowledged he and Casagnoli team up elsewhere on the indies. During the next match, A Steel versus Sterling James Keenan, Steel got in the mic and challenged the two to get into the ring. They came in, and there was a pull apart as the dressing room emptied apparently the whole idea of this is to copy the very first ecw appearance on a wwe pay-per-view show that was, that out- was mind games in 1996 for those keeping track nerd no, no. see again i uh, i couldn't even remember what er- like what show they were copying um and i should remember because that that great uh, mcfoley uh sean michaels match but anyway uh, Cornette came out with a bloody mouth and missing tooth. The tooth was from a prior non-wrestling accident that Cornette and Sapolsky are apparently trying to turn into a mystery as it's not revealed who did it to him. And he cut a promo on both. So one thing I'm wondering is, and I have no idea if this is the case or not, but according to even that pro references, I've been having a bad month. Remember, he was supposed to be on the last Ring of Honor show, Hell Freezes Over, but he badly hurt his hip, you know, taking a fall that, to the point where he almost thought it was broken. I wonder if he also lost a tooth on the fall or if he had lost a tooth in a different moment that month. Because that might explain, like, maybe he really was having a bad month. Um, like, well, obviously, he clearly was it with the with the bruise and the missing tooth. But um, another thing I thought was interesting I want to bring up to you, Matt, is. You know, we obviously are fans of Gates Sapolsky booking. We love Ring of Honor of this era. That's why so much so that we don't know it. Wait too many hours of our lives doing a podcast about it. But when you watch anyone's work, like all, all of it, like you always, everyone has tropes. I have tropes. You have tropes. Things you like to say. Things you like to do often. But like one, I really noticed on this show was what really hit me. Like there are a few things Gates Sapolsky of this era at least loves more than a good who did something mystery angle because I'm just thinking they're doing a who knocked out Jim Cornette's tooth angle. They did a who attacked Jay lethal backstage angle. They did a who attacked Lacey angle. They did a who shit in the current crew's bag angle. Those are just the ones that are quickly coming to mind. Like, and you meant Lucy, Lucy, not Lacey. Oh, Lucy. Yeah, Lucy. But there's there's nothing that Gabe loved more in this era than something happened backstage and nobody knows who did it angle. Well, this one will end up being consequential because of who they end up pinning it on. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just um, one more thing just to to add about this. Like 
as far as like the criticisms of Cornette, do you think they're completely Cornette's fault? Like, I'm sure that what ended up happening is like Cornette was like, all right, so what, so what's this, so this CZW thing? Like, so what am I saying about CZW? It's like, and I'm sure someone was like, or I'm sure Gabe was probably like, well, they're more of the hardcore style promotion. Like, you know, we do, we have more emphasis on wrestling. They do like death matches and cage of death and stuff like that. And that's probably basically all he knew. Like, do you think it was incumbent on Jim Cornette to do more research or do you think that he, he should have been clued in a little bit more? Well, I think Jim Cornette, like, he should have done more research. Of course, I'm big on research. Anyone listen to that podcast knows. But um, I imagine that Gabe probably did not give him any notes because I imagine Jim Cornette's such a respected promo guy. He probably, you know, I think most pr- guys that cut promos of Ray Vonner probably got very minimal just bullet points the way wrestling should be. But I'm sure he life. told him what CZW was because I don't think Jim Cornette was someone who watched it, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, the other one thing I will say to that, Matt, is even though you and I as like hardcore Ring of Honor nerds who are rewatching every show really have picked up on this, like most people remember this Ring of Honor angle, and we do too, as an all time classic storyline. Yeah, it I was. mean, a lot it of was. The, and a lot of Ring of Honor, most Ring of Honor fans stayed on Ring of Honor side throughout of it. And you got Melter and the Observer. Well, of course, at this point, Melter had a very soft spot for Cornette, like talking about these are some of the best promos you know he's heard. The people are telling us some of the best promos in years. So, like, this is a problem that maybe we're having now that maybe a lot of people at the time did not have. Although, again, I think there will be moments like the John Zandig Cornet promo duel where once someone else gets to kind of throw some of the stuff back on his in his face, it becomes a bit more of a problem. But even then, it's not like it destroys the angle or anything. I mean, I do. Okay. I just want to say, I do remember a little, I mean, like I thought Cornette was good and I still think he was good. And by the way, you mentioned the soft spot Melter has for Cornette. It's kind of sad actually seeing the riff now because they, they were, you know, they, they, they were buddies back, back then. But, um, I know for sure that even in 2006, I was like, you know, I wish the ROH's mouthpiece kind of got the whole scene a little bit more than Jim Cornette does. Like even at the time I thought that while still thinking that his promos were great. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest flaws of Cornette, which I think we mentioned before, before we even got to this feud, like, which is he never seems to, like, I feel like a commissioner, you want the idea that this is a guy that really knows indie wrestling, they live and breathe it, and Cornette never had that kind of authority in anything he says. He never really, could, he couldn't sell it to you that, you know, convince you that, yeah. oh, like, this is a guy that knows the lay of the land. I, I mean, I'm sure Jim Cornette has wa- watched Ring of Honor shows, was familiar with the wrestlers that were regulars there. But, you know, like when he's talking about like what CZW is, CZW is and things like that, yeah, no, he has zero to me credibility. And, if, and, and, by the way, and by the way, if you listen to Jim Cornette talk about anything, including now, he clearly still to this day, and I'm sure even at the time, did not really have a lot of respect for indie wrestling. Like, and like, this is still true, indie wrestling and wrestlers that got notoriety on the indies. And like, obviously he saw ROH as something different at the time, but, you know, I still think he had a mindset that was more oriented toward the major leagues. Like that was just, just how it is. And I think that was probably even true when he was like partially running ROH. Well, what's interesting is Matt, like this problem you're having with Cornette, this is not the first time he's done it because in fact, going back, like Chris Hero on that podcast, I did the, the I referenced on the last uh, episode that one he does with Conrad Thompson on the Patreon. Um, in that same episode where he talks about this entire feud, he kind of references like, Cornette's prior kind of history with hardcore wrestling because Cornette's hatred of hardcore wrestling probably started 
with Ian Rotten and IWA Mid-South because what happened was IWA Mid-South obviously was another, much like CZW, an indie that ran brutal death matches, but also had really good, um, you know, wrestling and major stars came through there. And just like CZW at this point, one of their top like straight wrestling stars was Chris Hero. But the difference was IWA Mid-South ran Kentucky at early on a lot and uh, as did Ohio Valley Wrestling, ran Kentucky, or, and you know, Cornet in general, you know, Louisville and stuff. And apparently what would happen a lot of the time would be uh, they would run like schools and all sorts of venues to be willing to book wrestling shows, IWA Mid-South. And they would do these crazy death matches and not clean up the building or do damage to the building. And then the promo- the, the the it would get bad publicity and the building would be like, we're never running wrestling again. And so Cornet grew to hate Ian Rotten and IWA Mid-South and probably – I would argue maybe that's part of where his whole hatred of hardcore wrestling in general comes from is this idea of like hardcore wrestling makes it hard for me to promote wrestling because it ruins the reputation. It, it, it disenfranchises small venues that be willing to book indie shows. But in a way it's funny because IWM itself very much fits the mold of CZW where hero, when he's on this podcast is talking about like, he didn't, he thinks like hero, like, Cornet probably didn't realize that like IWM itself was more than just like the two death matches that would be on at the end of a show. Like it was full, the rest of the card would be really good professional wrestling matches. 90 minute, two out of three falls matches between Chris Hero and CM Punk. Yeah. So it's, so in a way, I mean, our, Matt, it's surprising. Jim Cornette does not know nuance and does not learn from the past when it comes to things that are like put in front of his face. But like clearly, he just has stuck to this for like 20 plus years now. The idea of if you run a hardcore match, you know, you're that outlaw, blah, 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 shit. But uh, <laughs> I want to just take like a, 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 let's just cut out a clip of you being like that outlaw, blah, 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 shit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> let's thank God. Let's move on to. Oh, I was going to ask, okay, one more question. Uh, we've said so much long on the segment, but I want to go back to one of your original questions, Matt. So we know the missing tooth was obviously a shoot. Do you think Cornet, well, I, I want to ask you, like, what do you, because you raised it up first. Do you think Cornet, it looked like blood, but like, do you think Cornet did some ketchup, just got some extra with his, uh, Dairy Queen order? Or do you think like, do you think Cornet would be crazy enough to like blade his gun? <laughs> like, or, or, or have someone give him like a hard way shot to, to the lip or something or like bite his lip really hard? Like, yeah, I, I, I hope that it was some sort of red delicious sauce. That's, <laughs> that is my hope, but I do not know. Um, that brings us to, oh, we're getting too sidetracked, but have I ever told you the story of um, my first job where we had the secret red sauce? No. Um, <laughs> I, I work, I work, I, 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 my first like job as a teenager was this place called Burger Baron. And uh, I worked there for a month before I quit. I had to work with a guy that robbed the place and they told me to keep an eye on him. Even after he, they were so desperate for people, they rehired him after he robbed the store. Um, I, I have a lot of stories from the month there. But anyway, um, what I was excited about was I was like, oh man, they had this secret sauce called their red sauce that they put on their hamburgers. And like, I'm finally going to learn the secret of the red sauce. So one day they're like, we're going to show you how to make the red sauce. So they take a huge bucket, they take a huge tub of ketchup, a huge tub of mustard, and a huge tub of relish. They poured them into equal parts into the said bucket. They gave me a broom handle and said, stir it. And that was the red sauce. I was like, wow. Uh, I hope the broom handle was clean. Um, (laughs) uh, 
Uh, is the statute of limitations done? I don't know. Um, but uh, the, that was the secret. And when you said delicious red sauce, it just gave me horrifying flashbacks to stirring a bucket of sauce with a broom handle. So, so, so um, what was the name of that place? Burger what? Burger Baron. Burger Baron. All right. I think we have to set up the Trevor Dame Burger Baron shoot interview where he spills <laughs> all the dirty secrets. There, there is more than zero dirty secrets. So, <laughs> yeah, one of, them is the, one of them is the broom handle they used to stir their sauce because <laughs> apparently they didn't have spoons or anything. Um, <laughs> moving on, uh, it's intermission and Dave Frazak is – I'll just say Burger Baron under new ownership since I've been there. I'm sure they do not do that anymore. I'm sure they're great. Anyway. Get the Doughboys to review it. <laughs> It's intermission, and Dave Prezak is backstage, joined by Generation Next. In a nice touch, I would say, before the pro officially starts, we can hear Austin Aries mutter, I don't know what those guys are doing here. They don't belong here. So I like that. It's just kind of an offhanded mention of, you know, acknowledgement of this big interpromotional angle. But oh, oh, by the way, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. This is not important, but I have to do a callback. Um, you were assassinated by all that red sauce. <laughs> Oh man, I forgot assassination. This is the best episode. This is people are either going to say this is the best or the worst episode because of the last like twenty minutes, which mm-hmm. has just gone off into eight hundred directions, mostly thanks to Jim Cornette. That's, um, what, that's what we do. Yeah, the, Jim Cornette assassinated this episode, but that's right. Aries uh, talks about tonight uh, about how it's their first defense of the tag team titles, and it's going to be a real test for them. But they have all the confidence they're going to come out of this night on top. He then calls out Matt Seidel, which is awkward because he's standing right near him. He says the reason why Generation Next will come out on top tonight is that Gen Next is all about teamwork, sacrificing their own personal goals for the good of the group. He's wondering what Matt Seidel is doing, teaming up with AJ Styles and going after their tag team titles. He asks him to reconsider, and at this point he and Strong walk away before Seidel can even like talk to them, which seems a little harsh. Um Prezak asks Matt Seidel for a response, but before Seidel can even give one, Jack Evans stops him, says they have to focus on winning the trio's turn tonight, and so they walk away, and Prezak endeavors to get an answer from Seidel later in the night. Well, they, that's addressing a criticism that you had uh, on the last show, where like they, they didn't acknowledge that conflict of interest, and now they are, so I guess that's good, yeah. right? Yeah. And they're going to try and build some tension with it, which will be kind of funny how it comes up later, but... um. Next, we see highlights of Brian Danielson wrestling AJ Styles way back at Main Event Spectacles in 2003, as a gay voiceover tells us that Brian has gone 0-2 against AJ Styles in Ring of Honor, and as a result, Brian has personally requested a match with with AJ with Brian's Ring of Honor title on the line so he could exercise that demon. Gabe says it'll happen tomorrow night at Dissension. It's interesting. It's interesting. Because, like... That Gabe basically cuts the promo for Danielson here, right? Like that Danielson yeah. wants this match to exercise the demons, and it's it's what I find interesting is you just can't picture this version of Brian Danielson saying that, right? Like, oh, I, I need yeah. to exercise these demons. Um, but Danielson did have promo time on this show, so he could have mentioned it. It's it's just weird. It's like clearly like they they thought of this after the fact or something. Yeah, it's a very thrown together match too, because it's not like AJ has a ton of momentum. I would and say he's not, the, and he's not in the top five. He's not even working this show. He's only coming in on this double shot for the next night to wrestle Danielson. But I credit to Gabe for at least giving some kind of reason why Danielson would go out of his way, you know, and, and that Danielson has something to prove here. But, yeah, it's, it does seem very thrown together. thing I wanted to point out about this, Matt, is 
So Ring of Honor, obviously, some of the shows they would name ahead of time, but a lot of the shows they would name after the show, they would they would actually then name it for the DVD release, and it would usually often be because of something that happened on the show. So the next show would be called Ring of Honor Dissension, because a lot of dissension will happen on that show. What I like is in Ring of Honor's, like, kayfabe, every show is, like, live, and, and, and Gabe says, you know... Danielson versus AG will happen tomorrow night at Dissension. Why would you name a show Dissension like ahead of time? Yeah, like, it, it does not make sense before the fact at all. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's very weird, but it's one of those weird little things that comes up occasionally in wrestling. Um, and that brings us to our first match back from intermission. Nigel McGuinness defeated Delirious via pinball in six minutes, 47 seconds after he hit the Tower of London. Matt, at first, I didn't remember this match, and then Prezak, and then an on-screen graphic happened, and it blew my mind, because then it took me right back to, like, all those years ago, where this match was filmed for ringofhonorvideo.com, and we've been talking on recent shows how Ring of Honor has started to do a few promos that they've, mostly promos where the guys kind of do long recaps of their careers, and they've been doing them for the recently launched Ring of Honor video site. I believe this was the first match Ring of Honor ever showed on the website. Hmm. And well, there, there was th- there was that Danielson versus Azriel match, but I don't, or, or maybe it was, yeah, I think it was Azriel. Maybe it was Pelly Primo, one one of those two. Um, I don't yeah, remember if that was ROH it. videos or if that was just on ROHWrestling.com, dot com. But that, that but that was definitely one of them. I remember watching this match and freaking out that like, oh my god, it's Ring of Honor and I don't have to wait for the DVD and it's for free on the internet. And nothing has made me feel older than remembering that memory <laughs> because like, no, that that experience, no one will ever have that ever again. The idea of, oh my god, I have to, I don't have to wait two to three months to see this. You know, I can see this match li- like not live, but like on video days after it happened, like. Th- th- but, you know, as a match, it's a perfectly decent match. I mean, what did you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I was sort of thinking, like, if they really want to get ROHvideos.com over, they should put a match that's, like, really excellent on there. And this was not a really excellent match, nor did it try to be. This was short, but it was fun. It was a good match, like, for what it was, which is a completely unsubstantial kind of throwaway. But they, uh, you know, they, they, it was, everything was well executed. Um, I thought like it was, you know, Delirious got to be his Delirious self, but he also got to, you know, hold his own a little bit against Nigel. Um, Nigel worked worked the arm. Delirious hit. Uh, he keeps like, the, one of the early things is that Delirious kept escaping chin locks. Um, so eventually, Nigel just slapped him in the face. And I also like that Delirious acts scared and confused by Nigel's headstand. Um, <laughs> but then he still walked into the kick anyway. I enjoyed that. Um, and then it just ends up with, you know, like Delirious um, hits the panic attack knee strike. He hits his leaping clothesline. Nigel kicks out of a well-executed La Magistral and a few other roll-ups. Um, you know, Delirious gets a couple other um, near falls. Uh, Nigel does hit a very hard rebound Lariat, but Delirious actually kicks out. So they were not quite ready to make Lariat's Nigel's main moves yet. Um, they were getting there, though. We're, we're getting closer. Um, and eventually, Nigel just hits a few offensive moves, the European uppercut, the leg, the, the, the kick-elbow combo, and the Tower of London, and just gets the win. Like, it's a pretty anticlimactic ending, but, you know, I guess it makes sense because Nigel just got to be dominant. Um, that said, 
I thought this was, you know, a enjoyable, again, it was too short to really be much of anything. Like, I'd probably give it like, I don't know, two and a half, two and three quarter stars, just because it was just, you know, they weren't really trying for much more than that. But um, it is three short, low stakes matches in a row, which you don't really see too often on an ROH DVD. I thought this was the best of the three of those, though. Yeah, I think that's a good point that Ring of Honor usually doesn't have a law like that. Like, like one thing I guess we could second guess is did they really need Chris Hero and Necro Butcher to like derail two matches? Like, couldn't they have just had them? Because, yeah, to have two matches where the heels kind of derail, these guys kind of derail them, then this kind of short, almost squash match, th- that is kind of a weird lag in the middle. I guess, oh, they, I guess they just felt like the last three matches were all going to be like quite long. Maybe that's why. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Um, the other thing I forgot to mention about the Hero Butcher stuff is I know on one shoot interview, the one that Gabe did with uh, Chris Hero about like where they rewatch old matches, they talked about this night. And Gabe, one thing that Gabe thought was really novel was he was like, he, he said, I didn't think I, I could imagine we got to the point of doing this where like we paid people not to wrestle. Like he was pointing out, like he thought on an indie budget, this wouldn't be something they would usually do where like, I'm sure they didn't get paid a ton, but like Chris here on butcher, I guess get got paid to show up unannounced and do an angle and not wrestle a match or anything. So like he was just talking about, those are the kind of things that ring of honor would do occasionally to kind of go do something different, you know, but I thought that was interesting. But anyway, to this match, I agree. I thought this was enjoyable. I, I, I maybe like this a tiny bit more than you. Uh, the way I would say this match is, is to me, it was like a twelve. Like it felt like a twelve-minute match that a couple minutes before they went to the curtain, they said, "Guys, we're cutting you for time. It's only going to be six now." But I don't even mean that in a bad way. It just felt like they were particularly Nigel. They were just trying to fit in a lot of action and like all their best stuff in into like you know nigel did most of his big offense and that was probably because this match was also trying to showcase him it was basically kind of a squash he definitely wins very emphatically at the end which is a few moves in a row with like no back and forth at the very end although he does give delirious some stuff up up top but this felt like kind of a showcase probably for the website to be like hey nigel's one of our top stars this is what he does but i I thought it was good action it was enjoyable a couple funny moments. At one point, the crowd chants, you're a wanker at Nigel. And Nigel just says in this really fun tone of voice, he just goes, you don't even know what it means. Like, like he's kind of exasperated. Like, you guys can't chant that. And then later on, Nigel headbutts delirious in the stomach. And then um, there there were some fans that were really making kind of smart-ass comments all through the night. And uh, Nigel makes fun of them because he, he headbutts delirious in the head. And then he goes in a dismissive voice, that's using your head. <laughs> and then, uh, the crowd actually laughs at that. Like he's, he's very like snarking back to the crowd. I just thought, oh, Nigel, you were great. You know, you'd think, but, that, you'd think that Nigel would get more respect in Ohio. It's sort of like his adopted American home, right? Because he comes out of that Cincinnati Les Thatcher promotion, right? He did the goddamn head rammed into the turn post for them. Um, that brings us to Loki defeating Christopher Daniels with Allison Danger via pinfall in 20 minutes, 52 seconds with a backdrop pin. Basically, uh, Daniels is going for the angel's wings and, um, while his arms are underhooked, Loki just backdrops and holds the pin and gets the win. So again, this was supposed to be Christopher Daniels versus Samoa Joe in a 30 minute Ironman match, but instead, uh, Loki is the replacement. And, I would call this a tease of a match, Matt. I thought this was good. Could have been significantly better. And, like, there are parts of it, like, at the start of the match, I was so excited because before the match even starts, like, 
Loki and Daniels are like staring off and talking to each other. And as a big Ring of Honor geek, you're like, oh man, this is the first time these two guys have wrestled in a singles match in Ring of Honor since 2002. I think it's the first time they've wrestled in any format in Ring of Honor since 2003. You know, th- this is a rematch from the second show the company ever did. We're up to show 91 now. And they're just two of the legends of the company. And you can even like, you can't really hear them, but you can kind of read lips and make out like, like I think Daniels is saying like, it's, we've come full circle and all this stuff like and it is kind of a cool thing because at this point daniels is now the face and low keys down the heel so it's a complete 180 it's really cool and then these guys just have a fairly good but not great match and i think it's because it's heel low key and uh, you know we'll have more to say about Loki on the next show because the next show will be his last show but to kind of sum up gangster Loki as a guy who's now seen his heel persona almost every match of it like I, it's one of those things, Matt, I appreciate, but I don't love. Like, I appreciate what he's doing, that he's paring back his offense, so he's not trying to do every cool thing he can do because that would make him, it would be easier for the crowd to cheer him. He's really always trying to work over the midsection as a heel because so much of his offense as a heel is based around the double stomps. You know, I appreciate what he's doing, but the matches just aren't that exciting. And I think I'm more exasperated with this one because we just saw with the Kenta match a couple shows ago that he can turn like a switch back into old low key and just how exciting and what a special talent he is when he like takes the chains off and just does everything he's capable of. And this match, you know, it's not a bad match. It's a good match, but a lot of the match is low key just wearing down Christopher Daniels with like body scissors and it's kind of low stake stuff. And then you get these little bursts where Loki will speed up and hit like a big, like shotgun drop kick or get really emotional or run and scream just for a second, but then it'll settle right back down. And then it does pick up in the second, in the last third, I would say there's a neat sequence where um key's going to go for the, where, I mean, Daniels is going to go for the best moonsault ever. And Key, like, grabs his leg and doesn't want him to, like, go as he's lying on the mat. And Daniels, like, kicks him off, goes to do the best moonsault, but then, you know, Loki stops him, gets him to the Tree of Woe position for the double stomp. Daniels then, like, sits up out of the Tree of Woe, hits a palm strike to Key on the on the top rope. Key bumps off the apron to the floor from that, and then Daniels does this cool, like, springboard Arabian press. And that's just a really nice sequence of struggling back and forth. And sequences like that where you watch and go, oh, yeah, these two really do when they're really going at it, work really well together. But even at the end where they start picking up and doing a little bit more to each other, I just felt like this is good, but this is like three and a half star good. Like I'm not saying, I felt like you're not seeing these guys as a games on this night. And then, you know, I wish we could have seen one more all out match from key and Daniels, but we don't get that here. I don't think this is another example. I think of our expectations affecting how we see the match. So you like like I at no point when I saw that this match was on this card expected a great match because like I would have remembered that you know yeah. and and I didn't remember this match too much and I really you know I hadn't been so crazy about Daniels's recent ROH stuff um, and you know other than the Kenta match not a lot of Loki's recent stuff either so I ended up actually being pleasantly surprised by how much I liked this match um, I agree with you I think in the end that it was like a three and a half star match but. You know, that was, that's good to me. Like, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a four star match out of this because I, you know, I would have remembered it. D- does that make sense? You know what? I, w- you, I wasn't expecting it either, but I think what happened was my nostalgia got provoked. I, I think because just the stuff like, like, I, 
I, I think I was probably more like you in terms of excitement until that minute or two before the match where like Loki is holding up four fingers, but he's not joining the four horse and he's just referencing it's been four years, like all that stuff. I was like, man, these two guys do have really cool history. It's so cool that we're going to see it again. And I think you're right. It, it made me have expectations that I should not have had. I should have realized, like you said, if this was that great, it would have stuck in our memories collectively. Like, yeah, like, like the, the thing that I would compare it to, like, like you, you, like, in terms of like expectations, like Loki and Brian Danielson had a pretty, like, kind of like by their standards, like not good at all match at Final Battle 2004. And yeah. like, I was like worried it was going to be like that. Like the crowd was dead. Like it just didn't go anywhere. And I thought this was nothing like that. Like this was a legitimately good match that, you know, had some, you know, good stuff. Like I don't think Loki was at his most plotting in this match. I think he, he kind of mixed it up a little bit. He did do a lot of his body scissors and, you know, slowed it down a little bit, but the way they picked it up at the end, um, with some really cool stuff was, was pretty exciting. And I thought Daniels was, was kind of on his game here. Um, I think he wanted to make up for, you know, not having the Joe match. Um, and they, you know, they ended up having, and I thought Alice in danger during the slow parts did a great job of keeping the crowd in the match. She really, she really rallied them and the crowd was not, quiet for this like they were into it and i think for a match where that's where they're doing a lot of methodical stuff that makes a huge difference in my opinion like when they're doing when they're doing slow grinding work and the crowd is quiet it can be kind of sad honestly and um you know when the crowd is excited it kind of makes you more engaged in what they're doing um you know one complaint that i might have is that they do spend a lot of time working on daniel's midsection and it never really comes into play um, I guess you could sort of argue that maybe it does because the, uh, you know, they, maybe Daniels can't get out of the bridge that, that Loki puts it in. And yeah. obviously this is, this is an example where it would have made sense probably for Daniels to win here. Um, because, you know, there, he's obviously being used a lot more than Loki is. And like, I'm sure even if things had worked out with Loki and ROH, he wouldn't be there that often because he wasn't even supposed to be here on this show. Um, um, but, um, I'm sure it's one of those things. Loki was not someone it was easy to make lose. And so I think they just kind of had it be like a fluky finish instead of a decisive one. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought this was a an entertaining match, especially considering how long it was. Uh, it was like 20 minutes long. I thought that it, they, they did a pretty good job of keeping me engaged, more than I expected. Um, yeah, overall. I, I, three and a half stars sounds about right to me. There was – we also got a moment where Alice in Danger got dragged into the ring when um, – she gets on the apron because there's a moment where Key won't break in the corner, so Allison Danger gets on the apron to complain, and Key drags her in the ring by their by her hair and like teases like he's gonna beat her up, and uh, then Daniels grabs Key from behind and rolls him up for a near fall. So I, you know, we've long since retired the man on one violence counter because that streak long ended, but like this was a show where. You know, it's the same thing where Jack Evans in the first match of the show was like when um, Lacey was interfering, he was like about to like maybe do something to her. This was multiple times on the show where they where they went to the same kind of cheap like, oh, I'm going to beat up the uh, the female manager. And one was a heel, one was a face. So it didn't even matter if they were heel or face. It was just like, we're going to do that trope. And one spot I thought was cool. Did you notice there was a spot where um, Daniels gets tossed through the ropes, and it's like the cameraman didn't back up like quick enough. It's almost like it looked like Daniels hit the cameraman. Like if not, if not, it was a close call. But it was it ended up making for like a really cool camera shot. Cause it was one of those things where like cam- Daniels is flying into your TV set. It was really cool looking, actually. Yeah, that was a cool moment. 
Um, so yeah, after the match, both men sell for a long time until the crowd applauds and gives a Ring of Honor chant. Daniels grabs the mic and he stops Lowkey from leaving the ring. Uh, Daniel says there was a time he wasn't allowed to be in a Ring of Honor ring to compete in the company he helped create, but he said he'd never give up until he returned and won the Ring of Honor world title. But since he's come back, he hasn't had quite the success he envisioned having when he was sitting back at home. He talks about main eventing the first Ring of Honor show with him, Loki, and Danielson. Uh, he says four years ago when he came to Ring of Honor, he thought he was the star. So when he went to shows like Ring of Honor and, and people to- and people there told him he'd be shaking hands, he wanted no part of it. He thought he was like a big shit. Daniel says he's a different man now, and if he's going to be show respect both to this company that he fought to come back to and the wrestlers he came to fight in it, why doesn't he do it right and why doesn't he do it with the guy he j- who just beat him in the ring clean right now, low key? So Daniels at this point offers his hand, and then Key steps back into the ring at this point. Key grabs the mic and says it has been four years since the first Ring of Honor event. He says, win or lose, Key himself would always offer his hand as a man. But history has a funny way of coming full circle. Key points out the end of the main event of the first Ring of Honor show. He did offer his hand, and Christopher Daniels walked away. Key says he can only do one thing. At this point, he leaves the ring with no handshake to a mix of applause and boos. Um, I actually thought this was a pretty good promo from Daniels. Obviously, this is starting their little storyline of Daniels is, you know, now willing to shake hands. The one, one thing I'm wondering, Matt, is we know at this point the plan was, I think it was already publicly announced, it was going to be at the 100th anniversary, 100th show. It's going to be low-key versus Daniels versus Danielson in a rematch of the main event from the first show. Do you think maybe this was like a tease? And that I was thinking after watching this, maybe the original payoff to the whole – Daniel shaking hands wasn't him shaking Claudio's hand and Claudio turning heel, but maybe the payoff would have been after they do a rematch of this trios match. Maybe like at that point, Loki's like you've earned it and shake his hand. Cause to me, this almost felt like they were building to that. I mean, it would have made sense. I guess it depends on where they were going to go with Loki. I mean, homicide turns face. So I guess it could make sense that Loki would turn back face. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, it would have been a nice full circle moment, you know, if on the 100th show, you end it by the same exact finish, but this time, Daniels does accept the handshakes. Yeah, I would have liked that for sure. And maybe like Danielson, you know, being the cocky prick character that he was playing at this point is the one who's like, oh, forget this. I'm not shaking either of your hands. Something like that. Yeah, Um, yeah, I mean, it would have made sense. Um, But yeah, I thought it was interesting with Loki too, because they could have easily, since Loki's in the Rottweiler, just been like, handshake, what the fuck are you talking about? And he walks away. But instead, he gives this whole explanation. He almost is talking like the the Loki of old. So it's like, you know, he's not being full evil Loki either on this night. Yeah, he's he's giving a very good justification, like a face would, like, I just don't accept this because you know i remember history and you were exactly. a complete dick to me so yeah. i'm not forgiving you rather than just i'm an evil heel i'm not going to give you what you want so um that brings us to the semi-main of the show but the finals in the trios tournament 2006 the embassy of abyss alex shelley and jimmy rave scored to the ring by daisy hayes and prince nana defeated generation next of jack evans and matt seidel and jimmy yang in 23:37. when rave pinned evans after he hit greens from ghana stealing the pin after um i believe alex shelley had already taken him out um Matt, this was the final big long match, and this is something that I know Shane Hagedorn always mentions on the Honorable Mention podcast. This is something that sticks in his craw. As a result of this match, all three members of the uh, embassy get to book themselves in one match, whatever they want, in Ring of Honor. And because Abyss leaves Ring of Honor after the next show, Abyss to this day 
has never used his match. Matt, he still has one. He's he could Tony, still redeem it at any time. Tony Khan, are you listening? Um, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently he apparently he does follow you. So, um, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> he doesn't literally follow you, right? But he sees your no. tweets. I know that uh, clearly. Um, so yeah, give Abyss his, his title shot or whatever he wants, whatever he wants. Um, well, if he was listening to us, he still is. I, I I did publicly put out there our desire to rebook Daniels versus Danielson versus Low Key, and he has not done that for us yet. So if we only have one request for him, I still want that first before getting Abyss in somehow. Ooh, I think by the way, Abyss still works backstage for WWE. I think so. That would be kind of a a tricky maneuver to get him to work a Ring of Honor match right now, but. You know, times change, contracts, and you know how it yes. is. I'm sure that Ring of Honor, that Tony Khan Ring of Honor will last another 20 years, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so yeah, this match, as you might expect, is more substantial than the other trios tournament matches. It's much longer. And they, you know, they work a much more traditional pace, um, you know, where they have, they have hot tags and they slow it down and they pick it back up and... It starts with a lot of stalling by Jimmy Rave, like a lot, a lot. Like, like Rave stalls for like two full minutes before even locking up, and then when he finally locks up, he runs out to the outside and stalls for another few minutes, and eventually, Jimmy's Gang- Zabisco over here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, another Jimmy. Um, ev- <laughs> eventually, now uh, Yang slaps him a few times to get him going, and. They eventually, after like, I think like five or six minutes, start actually doing work, basic work, and then Rave tags in Shelly. Um, and I actually enjoyed this. On the last show, they made a big deal about the tag rope being mm-hmm. in. And so at one point early in the match, Shelly is choking Seidel with the tag rope, and he proudly tells the crowd, I'm using the tag rope! <laughs> um, which... That's the stuff. That's what I was talking about. Like Shelly is so like, he's one like in from a character standpoint, the MVP of this whole night, like far and away. Yes. They also the crowd chants flock of seagulls at him, which is an eighties reference that is much more sensical than chanting Ricky Schroeder at him. <laughs> I have to say. Um and I'm sure the flock of seagulls are good people, right? So I don't know. Um <laughs> You wanted to cut my clip earlier. I want to cut you kind of timidly saying, I'm sure the flock of seagulls are good people, right? <laughs> I, want, I, I need the, I need them to be good people. Um but um yeah, I you know, so so they they just they build the match much more traditionally. They they um generation next first double team Shelly. And then eventually Abyss, after like, again, like nine minutes in, finally comes in. Um, the first thing he does before he comes in is he, as Seidel is attacking everyone in the embassy corner, Abyss just pulls him to the floor and throws him to the guardrail. And then he tags in and splashes Seidel, hits a really brutal slap to his chest. And then they do they get the heat on Seidel for a while. Um, but... Seidel comes back, he runs Shelly into Rave in the corner, and leaps off of Shelly's back to hit a top rope Rana onto Rave, which, and then hot tag Yang, which I thought was a really good spot. Um, Yang gets a solid hot tag, I thought. Like, he did a pretty good, like, traditional hot tag. He hits a really big backdrop. Uh, his spinny kicks are well-timed there. And then he finally slaps Rave for a third time while he's on the mat to get a two count. Um, 
There was another point where Yang hits a kick to Shelly and sends him to the floor, but Shelly trips him, which allows Rave to catch him and just spike him on his head for a DVD. A DDT, not a DVD. He does not get a free DVD for getting spiked on his head. Um, and so now they get the heat on Yang for a while. Um, I thought that, like, so Abyss looked really good in all this, but I thought his punches were kind of his weak point. Like, all of his other strikes, his chops, his forearms, his clubbing blows all look good. But when he actually tries to just do, like, a regular downward, like, fist punch, which is a new term that I just invented, <laughs> a fist punch, um, I didn't think those looked very good. But in general, I really just love Abyss in all of these. Um, um, there was one point where Shelly and and Rave are like tagging back and forth. Like Shelly taunts Yang without touch. So like, okay, so Abyss tags in Shelly, and then Shelly does this thing where he just walks around Yang, taunting him, but doesn't touch him at all, and then tags out, tags in Rave, which I thought was really funny. And then Rave <laughs> comes in and does one stomp, and then tags it back in Shelly. And I was like, are they teasing? Dun 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 dissension between the two of them i couldn't really tell if that if they were just being cute or if they were trying to say that like they were both annoying each other by tacking out so quickly i couldn't really tell um but they continue to work on yang for a while the crowd's into it they're willing yang into hot to hot tag evans uh and while rave tags shelly and evans does another really good hot tag he does a a twisting standing splash on shelly um Seidel uh, and Yang double-team Rave, and Seidel hits the standing moonsault. Meanwhile, uh, Shelly tags in Abyss, and Abyss just takes on all three baby faces, catches Yang on the spin kick, slams him down. Uh, everyone is hitting strikes on Abyss in the corner, except that Abyss catches Evans with a kick on the handspring. Then he chucks Seidel onto Yang on the floor, and then he actually teases a dive, and the crowd's going nuts. But then Shelly tags himself in, and the crowd is booze big time, and eventually, like, Abyss acts upset, so Shelly slaps Abyss, and then Abyss grabs Shelly by the throat, and Shelly begs off, like, Abyss is teasing, choke slamming him, and eventually Abyss just lets go, and Seidel capitalizes. So, you know, that would have been another direction they could have gone, where Abyss is, like, breaking free of the embassy, but, like, like uh, as Hagedorn has complained, Abyss is gone pretty much after this weekend, right? Like, yeah, this is the last weekend for him and Low Key. This is they're both gone after this. Yeah. Um, so another cool spot is Seidel is like trying to do a backwards leap off the top rope onto Abyss, but Abyss catches him and does the black hole slam from that position, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then that's when Yang takes Abyss out of the ring. Rave takes out Yang. Um, Evan hits a, a handspring elbow and a busaiku knee on Shelly. And then he goes up for the 630, but Shelly moves, hits a super kick, hits slice spread number two on Evans, and then Rave pedigrees him for the win. Um, I was surprised Evans was the one who took the pin, but and the crowd was very taken down by the finish. But I thought it was a pretty exciting final segment. I like this match. I, I liked, I honestly, I liked all three trios tournament matches. I would say this is my second favorite. It's probably the best wrestling match of the three by far. But the first match was just so exciting and fun that I, I enjoyed it a little bit more. Um, I thought sometimes the heat segment on Yang dragged a little bit, but I didn't think much of it dragged considering the length. This was like what twenty three, twenty four minutes, yeah. and and I thought I thought they kept a good pace, and I, I just I liked a lot of the personalities in it, and I think that's that's what kept me engaged. 
I like this less than you, but I still would, like you said, I would put this as the second best of the three trios matches. And I still thought it was a good match, but again, my, this was a match where my expectations were a little bit higher because I like a lot of the guys. I like pretty much everyone in this match other than Jimmy Yang and Ring of Honor, not so hot, but, um, it was not a bad match, but I thought it was a little weird match where because it was a long match, they did the two long face and peril sequences where they did the Seidel one, then had a hot tag, then the, the Yang one, and then another hot tag. And then, and because of that, I felt one, I, I felt like maybe like some of those sequences dragged a little bit more maybe than you, I know you said they one dragged maybe a little bit. I probably thought they dragged a bit more than you, but also because so much of the match is just those two long face and peril sequences, I felt like Usually these kind of matches, especially these big matches, they, they have like a big kind of long section at the end where things really go nuts. And I felt like this sh- match, it didn't have nearly as long and it didn't get really that crazy until maybe like the final minute and the crazy stuff like Abyss catching Seidel in midair and hitting the back Black Hole Sun. That was one of the coolest things I've seen in, on a Ring of our show in a while. But like I kind of wanted more of stuff on that crazy level, which is, I know is a lot to ask for, but I, I also felt like kind of gave, ended up giving this match this weird feeling of, I, I, I felt like the faces kind of got dominated in most of this match because of the two long sequences. And even like when they finally had like Jack Evans getting the hot tag and when he hadn't worked most of the match, like I felt like very quickly they were back to getting their butts kicked quite a bit. And even like, you you tease dissension where the match basically stops, where Alex Shelley stops Abyss from going to do the dive, and then Abyss cheeses, to, I mean teases choke slamming Shelley. He cheeses like, him. <laughs> they uh, you, you gotta get cheese him when you get assassinated. But um, <laughs> the whole like like they they basically stop the match to fight, and the faces still lose. Like like the the faces kind of came off as losers, I would say, in this match. Like I don't think they did that much. Like there's a moment in the middle, like late in the match, where all three baby faces like attack Abyss three on one, and he basically holds them off fine. And that's part of what makes Abyss so cool in Ring of Honor. But I felt like in this match, it was like, man, the faces really are taking it in this match. And I did enjoy Abyss in this match, although I will say like. Watching Abyss in this, on this night, I felt like, man, Abyss had a pretty, like, uh, not in terms of probably maybe pay or something, but like, in terms of working, I feel like he had kind of a plum gig because I felt like he does do some cool things in his Ring of Honor run, but he gets such great reactions without having to do that much a lot of the time because he's the only guy in Ring of Honor that's like the big giant monster and everyone in the company other than him, for the most part, are small guys that are very willing to just treat him like a monster and bump huge for him. And it's sort of like, like so much of like Abyss is just him tagging in and just guys just bouncing off of him. Like sometimes in some matches, literally. And I just felt like, man, that, that like these are probably some of the easiest nights he would have on the indies. It's just like tag in. Everyone just freaks out, acts scared. You just run into guys, toss them around, hit a black hole slam. Uh, so and I agree about Jimmy Yang when we keep talking about this match. Like, I agree Jimmy Yang, you know, was um, better, you know, again, on this night than he has been on other nights. He was probably better in the first match than here, but, you know, did well enough. Uh, Jimmy Rave, yes, yeah, stalled a lot. And I like Jimmy Rave's old school stuff, but, like, man, that was a lot of stalling. Um, just looking over my notes, I liked it before the match that Shelley tried to teach Abyss how to throw toilet paper back into the crowd. And he actually got a big pop out of the crowd when like the first time Abyss tries it, he doesn't do it well. And then the second time, like Abyss has learned and throws it into the crowd. And he gets all excited and that actually gets a nice pop from the crowd. Um, 
you mentioned the tag rope thing. Shelly at one point does the testicular claw to Matt Seidel. So, like, again, Seidel just on another level here. Um, most of that stuff, you mentioned all the other really good spots in this match. So, although at the the hot tag um, when um, Yang is the face in peril and uh, Rave jumps off the top rope and, and, and um, he just does a brutal-looking back kick to uh, Rave's face to, to, before he makes the hot tag. And I thought, overall, I, I thought, I just expected more of a match of this length with this many people. That's the semi-main event, a tournament final. But it was still not a bad match. And I also thought it was just a little weird that the faces got beaten so much in this match. But still, decent enough. Um, after the match, Shelly is pissed about Rave stealing the pin because he had the win with the slice bread number two. And then Rave insisted on taking the win with the uh, greens from Ghana pedigree. But uh, Nana and Rave both try and talk Shelly down. And then we quickly cut to the next match, our main event. And that's the Ring of Honor tag team title match. Generation next of Austin Aries and Roderick Strong make their first successful defense of the titles when they defeat Brian Danielson and Jay Lethal in 29 minutes, 18 seconds, when Strong made Danielson tap out to the stronghold. Um, Matt, this was my match of the night. I would give this a flat four stars. I thought this was a great match. Um, I think the interesting thing about this match is this felt like a B-show main event, but in a good way. I, I think a lot of times... Like, not every match needs to be an emotional intensity of 10 out of 10. Not every match needs to have, like, seven straight minutes of big near falls. And, and you know, sometimes that can get exhausting, even though that is kind of Ring of Honor and a lot of the Super Indies bread and butter. But I think the one problem is sometimes we've seen matches that when they omit that kind of stuff, they don't really replace it with anything. It just kind of feels like lower effort versions of those crazy Super Indie matches. I felt like this felt like... It did not feel like a crazy, everything's at 10 out of 10 intensity, we're going for 800 near falls, but it also did not feel like these guys just mailing it in either. Like, like these guys felt like they were having a really good time, and it felt like they were kind of making it up as they were going, but also a lot of those times when, when it feels like guys are just making it up as they go along, it doesn't really have good structure. This had structure, you know, you had the, just like the last match, you had two face in peril sequences, you know, each guy gets to be the face in peril. You had like the heel stuff, you know, referencing the feud between Danielson and, and Strong. You had Jay Lethal being a heel here. And I thought, even though I wrote my notes when Lethal first came out that Jay Lethal's entire heel character is wearing sunglasses, I did feel as I watched him wrestle the match, this was his best performance thus so far as a heel. He, he kind of stopped doing it as the match got deeper. But, you know, he stole Joe's Olay kick. He uh, did Aries power drive elbow. He I like there's a moment where he gets cornered, cornered, literally cornered by Aries and Strong, and he's like screaming like Ah, Brian, help me! Which I thought was a very cute like weaselly heel thing. So I did like that stuff. I thought that he and Brian actually had good chemistry. Like um, they tagged in and out a fair bit. Um, they did I think one of the spotlights of this moments of this match is uh they take turns tagging in and out. Each one of them will. Do a body slam of Roderick Strong, then tag out. The other guy will body slam Roderick Strong, tag out. And they did that probably like 10 times at least. And, um, the, I mean, it's just a good, if this is just four really good wrestlers. I would say four great wrestlers and one pretty darn good wrestler. Just, it felt like they were having a good time. And it's, it's like, even the emotion, it was like, even though they did sell that like Strong and, and Danielson hate each other, they kind of dialed back the hatred from, um, 
their their previous matches. And it was like they, they these guys were emoting, they were being characters, but they were also having fun. They weren't selling this like they were like blood sport, we gotta kill each other, we hate each other, this is like the most thing ever. They're all being kind of cocky. There's a great moment where um Danielson like yells in, in um Aries face and he's like Generations X sucks. And you can hear the crowd be like, what? Like, did he do that on a mistake? But I think Danielson meant to do that on purpose. And Danielson is just smiling like he's going to burst. Like, Danielson seems like he's having the best time just being such a little goofball shit. And it's just so much fun. And then finally, I really like the, like, I guess my last kind of thoughts on this match is, I think what makes this match good is this match felt like it was in second gear the whole match. But that actually impressed me because it was like, the match is maybe a little slow for the first couple of minutes to ease into it, but really this is almost half an hour, and these guys, it's all action, there's almost nothing on the mat, and they just are at a really good, like, medium gear, and they never stop. And it's like, ta- they're all tagging out quick, and it's it, it's just really impressive that they get, on the first half of a double shot, they just kind of really went at a good medium tempo of action and just never really took a break. And I also really like the end because the end is Danielson and Strong alone for like two minutes. They basically have like a mini match. And I really liked – and then Strong wins definitively where he hits his moves and he makes Danielson tap out to the stronghold. And I really like that because this – the booking of this match had to do some heavy heavy lifting in that it sets up Strong versus Danielson for a third time. Except Danielson beat Strong the first two times clean. So you think you need a pretty good reason to do a third one. And what I like is you could have just had Strong beat Danielson like in the normal tag match. But by having Strong and Danielson basically work like two minutes alone at the very end, it really did give strong, like it almost felt like strong beat Danielson in a singles match, even though he really didn't. And I think it really worked in a way that was better than if like they strong had just been the guy to pin Danielson after like he and Aries hit a bunch of double teams or something. But overall, you know, not an absolute, you have to go out of your way to see this, but I thought this was an outright like low, like great match. I thought. Yeah, so uh, this is maybe like one of the, the the few matches on the show that I actually liked a little bit, a little bit less than you. Um, I, I I would say very good. Uh, I wouldn't quite go great. I think my favorite match of the night is still the opener, even though this is a, obviously a better wrestling match by probably by a lot. Um, but um, I, I I I did think it was very good. I thought I agree with you. Lethal um, showed way more as a heel than he did. You know, I criticized his performance at Hellfries is over a lot in terms of his heelishness. And I thought he definitely did a lot more here, you know, stealing the Joe spot, stealing the, um, stealing the Aries spot. I also enjoyed, um, at the beginning where, um, um, well, actually, let me, let me get to the, the part where, cause I, I, I thought, first of all, he looked really cool wearing those sunglasses. I, I have to mention that. Um, <laughs> but like, like he does some stuff where like, all right, so he's, they, you know, they, they do basic wrestling early and lethal pushes strong to the ropes. And instead of cleanly breaking, he doesn't do like an eye poke or a chop. He just sort of like kicks strong in the shin, the shin, I should say, and knocks him like any like strong loses his, his footing for a second. And I thought that was different. You don't really see that very often. Um, also, I like that, like, usually these strong matches, they, He's going for a backbreaker for a really long time and and the chops and stuff. But here, Strong just hits a backbreaker on Lethal like immediately and hits his chops really early. So I like that they changed it up a little bit. Um, and the other thing that I liked at the beginning of the match was after the uh, the backbreaker, 
uh, Lethal tries to tag out Danielson. And Danielson wants no part of Strong. He does a lot of stalling, running away from Strong early in the match. So instead of tagging in, Danielson just massages Jay Lethal's back from the <laughs> uh, from the apron, which again you don't see that too often. I think it's interesting how these like ROH sort of like B show main events when they're really long, they're sort of a mix of like pay per view main event, but also just like house show style. Yeah, you know, because they're like doing a lot of shtick and stuff. Um, you know, which, which does have its charms, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't make, you know, those aren't, those aren't ever going to be like my favorite matches, you know, like I can enjoy that stuff, but I'm never going to be like, yeah, that's the match of the year right there. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it's, so they're not trying a, to do that. Yeah. It's a weird way to put it, but it's like, it's a relaxed atmosphere. Like you don't feel like these yeah. guys are feeling intense pressure that they've got to pull out every stop or hit a time cue. Like I get what you're saying, but I actually think that's part of why I like this match is because it just seemed like all four guys were really having a, like a a good time. It's weird sad to say, like it just felt like they were having fun. Definitely seems that way, and they you know they they all performed well, um, you know, and and I agree with you about the about the finish um, that you know they. Um, the, like the, just the fact that Strong got this like really decisive win after a, a big sequence with Danielson, I think that was exactly the right thing to do, and you know, and it, and it worked really well, and it makes you want to see another another match between those two. Um, another spot, by the way, that I just want to I want to point out. So they do this thing, you know, after the whole thing where um, Danielson and um, and Lethal keep taking turns body slamming Strong, so Aries. And Strong do this thing where they hand off an airplane spin. Like, Aries does an airplane spin on Danielson, but instead of just going and going and going, instead he tags in Strong, so Strong can do a little bit of airplane spinning, and then Strong hands ba- hands it back to Aries, who does more airplane spinning, and, and, like, the whole point is that they don't get too dizzy. The only thing that undercuts it is that when they're done, Ares acts like he's super dizzy. <laughs> so, like, what was the point of the the trading off? He should be like, "Yes, we did it. Now I did the airplane spin, and I'm not dizzy." That should have. Been I felt like he shook it off quick, like almost like he was making fun of being dizzy. Hmm. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm, just I'm not too sure. slow to get Ares uh, to get Ares <laughs> deep, deep clever deep. humor. <laughs> um, speaking of Ares humor, there was a spot where um, after Lethal does the power drive elbow. Um, the crowd chants, Austin does it better. And Aries says, his girlfriend told him that too. So Aries is very funny on this particular show. Um, and I think this is also one of the first shows, isn't it? Matches where like Aries does the, I think he does, starts doing this regularly. Like the, I go to chop um, a point in the corner and then I go like, oh, I can't do this right. And then I tag it, Roddy, like you do it way better than me kind of gesture. Yeah, probably. Well, this is, I mean, only their real, like, second major tag team yeah. match together, like, as, like, a, an official team. So it makes sense. Yeah, that's something they certainly do a lot over the next year. Um, but yeah, no, I thought this was, you know, they did definitely was a lot of silliness early, but the, I th- I don't totally agree that it was second gear the whole match. I do think there was a first gear sequence early. And I thought the last, like, the last few minutes were definitely, like, fourth gear. Like, they just took a long time to get there. But, um, but I thought it, you know, I thought it was it was quite good. Three and three quarter stars ish would probably be where I go. My second favorite match of the show, although, as you mentioned, probably the best one. <laughs> I mean, it's also very much a different match. You got like a short, kind of really fun high spot sprint versus like a very long kind of just 
standard of the day like main event indie wrestling match. So yeah, this was yeah, this was this was very long. It was really it was like a legitimate like half hour length. Yeah, twenty nine minutes, eighteen seconds. So yeah, almost a half hour. Um, I was just looking at my notes quick for a couple things, trying to find little things. Um, uh, one thing I did like, although, um, you know, again, Ravon always tries to come up with reasons why matches would happen. So Prezak on a commentary says, this match is almost a thank you to Danielson from Austin Aries, pointing out that when uh, Brian Danielson became Ring of Honor World Champ, the first person he gave a title shot to was Aries, because Aries was the guy who beat him before Brian took a sabbatical. And so Aries, by giving Danielson the first shot, the tag titles after they won the tag titles is kind of repaying that favor. So that made sense. And again, it's a good way to justify because Brian Danielson and Jay Lethal had never teamed before ever. So like, why would they get a tag shot? And so at least that makes some sense of like, it's Aries giving something back to Danielson. Um, you also, the rare time you can very clearly catch Danielson call a spot, there's a moment where after they've had Strong, like it's the face in peril for a long time, Danielson has like Strong draped over the ropes, and you can both see and hear him, he leans into Dan- Strong's ear and he goes, move, and then he he goes, runs the ropes, and then he goes to do a drop kick, and sure enough, Strong like moves out of the way and makes the hot tag, so... The rare, I caught you, Brian. You're not a very good wrestler. I, I caught you. So, um, um, yeah, <laughs> that was, that was mostly it. So after the match, Roderick Strong gets on the mic. He tells Danielson that he owes him another title shot. So he's going to take it whenever he wants it, bitch. And <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, dad, the bitch. Uh, we go backstage where Jimmy Jacobs is oog. Ogling, uh, Lacey massaging her sore legs. BJ Whitmer is pissed and he wants to know what's up with Jimmy lately. Jimmy says, sing. He actually sings. He goes, I'm in love. Uh, Lacey uh, although, wants- although, although he seemed less in love here than like in lust, right? Like, <laughs> he's in horny. Yeah. He's just like staring at her legs, which is, you know, I mean, you could do that with someone you love, but it's not like the most <laughs> loving gesture. Lacey wants to know why BJ is causing tension within the team. BJ says, you don't think I watched these DVD releases we have? Um, BJ says he watched the Buffalo Stampede DVD recently and accused production to play a clip from it, which they do immediately. And it's a clip where uh, Lacey behind BJ and Jimmy's back says that's so easy to manipulate men. So we cut back to the, the, the live show. BJ says, what was that all about, sweetheart? Lacey and Jimmy say it was all a joke, and BJ says tomorrow they have a tag team title shot, and he plans on being a five-time Ring of Honor tag team champion. Lacey agrees. What, is, what, is, what get... is he? What is he? Booker T. <laughs> Lacey agrees. Says they need to get ready. No time for a promo, and she leaves with Jimmy following her like a little lost puppy. I like this I... a lot. I like this a lot. Like I, I like that that BJ like noticed what was on the DVD and was like, "Hey, wait a minute!" Like I think that's that that's pretty cool that they that they did that. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I really like that. Like, this is for people that always complain about the, and not unfounded, the million times on TV wrestling, particularly like Raw or SmackDown, the idea of someone says something backstage and then the next week, like the other guy that they said the mean thing about seems oblivious to the fact that like that happened. This is the one of the rare times I've ever seen in wrestling where they actually go out of their way to be like, yeah, you said something behind my back on a DVD. And guess what? I watched the DVD. Like, I know what you said. Yeah. (laughs) So like, I don't know. I can't remember any other time in wrestling. I'm sure it's happened where they've actually like used real logic instead of wrestling logic when it comes to this. Like, yeah, well, and, and, course- this, and this was like only a year after the whole thing with like Batista 
And, you know, like in, you know, like Triple H and Ric Flair would talk about Batista behind his back and like seemingly for weeks, Batista would act like he just didn't know what was going on before he finally turned on Triple H. Yeah. So I, I also love, sure, there's something funny about the idea of BJ Whitmer watching Buffalo Stampede. Like you gotta be a big <laughs> Ring of Honor fan to watch Buffalo Stampede. <laughs> It's not one of the best cards on paper. Well, but, he, did, um, he did have a big match against Davey Andrews on that show. <laughs> Got to take notes. Why did that match take so long? Um, and then finally we go to a poorly lit backstage area where we can barely see what's going on, where Dave Prezak is with Matt Seidel. David promised earlier on, on commentary and elsewhere, I think, multiple times teased that like he was going to get an answer from Matt Seidel tonight. And um, so Dave wants to know if Seidel's response to Aries and Strong's request earlier in the night to Matt to not pursue the tag team titles with, with AJ Styles. Seidel then gives us his answer, which is he says he's going to make a couple of phone calls, sleep on it, and he'll have his decision tomorrow. And that's how the DVD ends. And you know, Matt, that this is a B show ass B show when the cliffhanger <laughs> is find out on the next show what Matt Seidel is going to do about the tag titles. It was especially when they teased multiple times on this show that like Prezak's like, I'm going to talk to Matt Seidel later in the night. And the answer he gets from Seidel is I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> like, this is very much a B show. It is a B show. That said, I liked it. I um I don't know if there were any, I thought there were a lot of good matches. I definitely like the trios tournament matches more than you did. I don't know if there are any matches I'd give four stars to. Maybe if I, I could push the opener into like get like low four stars, I would say. Um, but a lot of matches I enjoyed. I, I think the base. This is another one of those B shows where it's like the baseline ROH quality is so high that like these B shows are pretty good. And it does have that one big angle that makes it stand out from other from other shows. So it has that going for it too. Yeah, this is a good B show. Like I would, it's one of those shows where I would never say like go out of your way to see this, but it, it's it's a show that you know if you're watching it, it's pretty good. Like it, like I would say it's more than even just acceptable because you know even if I didn't quite agree with you on every single match, I think we both agreed. There's like three or four probably five good matches. i mean you got the low-key daniels match i think all three trios tournament matches were good to some extent um you got the main event i liked a little bit more than you but we both liked a fair bit so i mean that's like five at least quality matches on this card plus a memorable angle so yeah it, it, it as far as b shows goes even though again it did not feel important I, I think if you just want to sit back and have three hours of good wrestling, this was a, a good uh, good show. So that is the end of the show. So for plugs, as usual, if you want to get in touch with us, it is through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H for through. We have a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only Plugs Forum that I check once every few weeks lately. Um, we have our Twitter, at Trevor Dame and at Mayor MGF. Um, next time on the show, we will be covering the second half of this double shot that we just started with Ring of Honor going back to Cleveland for Ring of Honor Dissension. Uh, that will have Brian Danielson versus AJ Styles. It will also have Matt, our farewell to low key. I'm sure we'll have some thoughts. It is last match ever in, low, in Ring of Honor and it's against goddamn Jack Evans. So that seems crazy. <laughs> so it'll, yeah, be, it'll lot, be interesting. So yeah, that should be a fun show. And this was a fun show. So until next time, in the words of Kenny Omega, to paraphrase him, have a good time. Have a great time.